Hey, welcome back to Collector's Quest, episode 106. We have a very special episode today. It's the So You Want to Collect the NES episode, part one. And I know it's everybody's favorite console. So it's not a, we're not doing this in like textbook format. I don't know. We've, we've had like two or three of these episodes before. We, we can't tell you everything in audio form. That's just not a way to digest information. But we go over all the collectible stuff in the NES. What's in the set? What kind of variants and stuff are out there? All that. And this part, this first part is like the basic stuff. And then we're going to do another episode where we get into like the really crazy nitty gritty stuff. We go over all of it in the episode, but basically we're just going to go over it and then we're just going to like have conversations about each of the collectible aspects of the console. You know, you know how this podcast goes. What, you, what am I doing an intro for? You already know how this thing goes. Anyway, give us five stars on iTunes. That'd be really nice. Since there's no pop song that I could really just relate to NES. Like I think I did, I did Thriller with Genesis. That made sense. I'm just going to do a, a quick medley of all the best NES games. Let's go. get it they're all they're all ninja gaiden 3 do you get it dude this this one's ninja gaiden 3 too okay hey welcome back to collector's quest i'm tyler here with johnny here with stefan this is definitely the first time we have started this show yes we definitely did not try to do this three other times we're here, we're excited, and before we launch into what this episode is about, first, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Secondly, I just want to tell everyone, if you haven't heard, it's our three-year anniversary, so we're doing some other stuff. You will find some other episodes coming out in the next month from here to like Christmas that will be dropped in intermittently without any kind of you know, they won't have like official episodes. It won't be like episode 107 or, or 106 or 110 or whatever the placement is. It'll just be special little fun things that either were previously done or or kind of new, some experiments I'm doing. So you'll see some of that. So, so don't freak out when that happens. And if uh, you don't hear Stefan or Tyler Johnny on the show or something, episodes. they yeah, that doesn't mean that uh, they went away. No one, no one catted them. Oh wow! Off the show. That was was that a, uh, no. <laughs> damn? What? I mean, it's because I've only been here for no, two I'm years, and Stefan's only been here for one year. So for the three-year anniversary, it's a bunch of Johnny-only stuff. You haven't been here two years, Tyler. Uh, I've incorrect? been here for two years, and Stefan's been here for one year. I, that I, is, I haven't. Even those been are the here accurate numbers. I'm pretty sure yeah. I double-checked. So for our three-year anniversary, it should just be Tyler and Stefan because two plus one is um, three. No. That's not how that works. Anyways, if you guys want to jump on on some of those episodes, that's cool. But that's not really relevant to the podcast or what Especially we're trying to tell these already people. Already recorded. This is all, yeah, this is all filler. Yeah, this was stuff before you guys existed in my world. So unless you are really excited to come in and th- throw your thoughts on an episode recorded back in 2011, then it's not really relevant. I want to give my my preview of one of these episodes, like supposedly one of the first things you recorded. Uh, your energy levels are at all time lows in that episode. You've come a long way in how excited you get about bubble mailers. I will say, it's just my little preview. Yeah, that there. 
I was trying to, I wasn't trying to convey emotion. I was just trying to read a thing that I wrote, which is totally different. Scripted podcast. That's a good idea. It wasn't. Yeah, it probably is. Clearly we're three minutes in here. We could use a script, (laughs) but it wasn't. What I was doing was reading off of one of my blogs I wrote because someone said it would be cool if I could listen to this. And it was 2011 and podcasts were definitely a thing, but they weren't really a thing to me yet. And I wasn't like, oh, I should learn how to go do a podcast. I was just like, oh, I have a microphone. I can record this. Though I did actually have a podcast back then that went like 15 episodes for a game I used to play, uh, which I was a world champion in called um, Anachronism. So it was like a card game. <laughs> Sounds like it's real hard to be a, a world champion at anachronism. Stefan, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> nope. Okay. It won it won game of the year at uh, Gen Con. So like when it came out and stuff, it was like it was a, it's a great game. I love this game so very much. And uh, yeah, so we are we were regional champions, not world champions. So it was an official world champion. It was not me. That was a friend of ours. But uh, yeah, anyways, I became a regional champ. So did. Uh, my friend, and we had a show called Best of the West because we were in the West and uh, we were like the official podcast for Anachronism because no one else was doing one. So we I were just why. It. Yeah, because it was a huge success. That's definitely why it went under in two and a half years. Weren't you also some champion of some board game you hadn't played before that day? Like, I want to say, was it like Alhambra oh, no, that- or something? Uh, well, Puerto Rico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, again, Ooh. at Gen Con, I went and I won. I had played Puerto Rico before. I actually had played a bunch with friends and there was a big competition at Gen Con and I went and through several rounds was never beaten at Puerto Rico. Oh, nice. And I have not played Puerto Rico since. Well, oh, Puerto Rico is my favorite board game. I can't get oh, enough of it. it. It's so good. Yeah, Puerto Rico is a really fun game. But after that, I was like, I'm retiring a champion. <laughs> I can't go any further than this. So I'm, I don't want, ever want to play it again. I did the same thing with Area 51 after I beat it on, I say one quarter, but it was 50 cents to play. And I beat it with 100% accuracy, which isn't that hard to do if you get the shotgun, just so you guys know. But I did it, 100% accuracy, didn't die, said never again. I don't need to, uh, I don't need to play this ever again. Was that in arcades? Yeah, I was in an arcade, I did this. I used to own an Area 51 and I've never done that. Really? Yeah. Oh man, I used to go into this like little arcade we had and uh, I would just jam that thing with my friend and we, we would go after school and we would just play the hell out of this thing. Anyways, so none of this is relevant to the podcast and probably could all be edited out, but that's not how we do things here. We just leave it. Anyways, (laughs) you'll see some stuff that is out of the ordinary. Don't worry about it. Don't see the guys. Don't worry about it. They're still here. Cat still on the show. Hopefully getting her back this month for an episode. There you there you guys go. Remember when Kat used to like just like interrupt us and keep us on the rails and be like, okay, okay. Anyway, back yeah, to Panic see, Restaurant, guys. So Yeah, see, remember when we had someone who wrangled us and this didn't happen? People like just mindless rambling. Well, we all miss Kat. That's, is anyone that's like point. that? Who is complaining about mindless oh, I rambling? Get, <laughs> You, you aren't giving me message. 100% information. I came here for a textbook, and you guys ah. are trying to have conversations and, and side talks and fun. I paid good money for this show. <laughs> you tell me right now about Nintendo. 
I was thinking people about messages. donating to your Patreon that you might have one day. I was going to say, people are going to stop donating to Patreon, Johnny. <laughs> We're not careful. Oh, no. Please <laughs> don't stop. Wait, we don't. That's actually not true. There is a Patreon that I've never officially launched because I was like, nah, just not ready to go down that kind of road yet. That that, that feels weird. Yeah. Don't want to do it. Anyways. Tyler, we're talking about your favorite thing, and this is the episode I know people have been asking for, at least one of them. It's the So You Want to Collect For episode. Uh, people in general really like these, but Tyler, this one is near and dear to your heart. What is it? What's near Wrestling and dear to homebrew. everyone's hearts? The Nintendo Entertainment System. Literally Why? everyone's favorite console. No, I think Super Nintendo is a lot of people's favorite consoles. I, I would I would agree. To collect? Well, you guys both yeah. are more Super Nintendo collectors. Fight about it. If you if leave a comment on this web zone, if you collect an NES or SNES more, <laughs> I think actually what you're saying, like ten years ago, was more true. Like NES was the thing, right? And it was just NES. That's the only thing. Super Nintendo is second, but NES is first. Now you get people who are more like Super Nintendo. But now I get some like weirdos trying to sell me on N64 as the best Nintendo system. Oh my system, god. We can't let is, those people ever win. Like there can never can be never a popular win. consensus that N64 is cool to collect for. No, it's like it's, the prequel Star Wars people. Uh, uh, yeah, those people are all wrong. Well, they're like uh, some of them are like ironically, a lot of them are like ironically into it. But if if people want to get ironically into N64 and everyone's like they're all into it cuz it sucks, like that'll be kind of funny. I'll be into that. That's the difference of prequel memes to the prequel, though, right? Because prequel memes are amazing, and the prequels are not. There we go. All right. We just need more retro gem miners in this world to all circle jerk about the Nintendo 64. Man, I can't wait for the the next episode of Retro Gem Miner when he talks about all of his gem N64 titles. Noted. Setting you up. Setting <laughs> you up. If you guys don't follow Retro Gem Miner on YouTube, go find him. Best content on YouTube. 100% best, best collector content. there is. Absolutely. Yep. So anyway, so let's let's get into the episode since I've rambled so long and we'll let Stefan actually talk hmm. uh, as well. That'll be nice. Well, so uh, what are we doing? Oh, am I Tyler. am I announcing what we're doing? Okay. No, no. Ty, oh, okay. Tyler, Tyler will take us in okay. and then you will follow up. <laughs> okay. Stefan can talk. Yeah. Tyler, what are you right? doing? Right? It was doing? confusing. All right. I just want to so, make sure it was confusing. F- fair. All right. So to be clear to everyone, we are splitting this episode into two parts because everyone loves NES super extra specially. So this first part is going to be the mainstream NES collecting episode of ntsc games you know all the games that you think of when you think nes and then we're going super deep in the second episode where we're going into like hong kong regions brazil gluck sachin homebrew all like the like test carts all like the super obscure stuff because it would be way too long to put all that crap into just one episode i also kind of feel like that services two different audiences Sort of. It de- it definitely does because we're going to introduce new collectors here, and they're going to see this and they're going to want this part, but not, maybe not the second part yet. But Tyler, tell us why before like before we get into the format of the show, we tell them why that we feel the need to break it up into two parts besides just the depth and the length. Like why is Nintendo special this way that we have so much content? Because because NES is everything. There's so many freaking variants there's so many games it was the foundation for so many genres and so many franchises <laughs> what i don't know what do you want me, what are you fishing for you're fishing for an answer but i can't give it to you i can only okay. express in partial sentences how much i love the nes 
All right. Well, Tyler forgot how to speak and answer questions, so I guess I'll say it. Unless Stefan, do you want to go as well? Um, yeah. I mean, I I think that there's there's so with NES in particular, there's, there's even like there's things that people are still discovering on like a daily or weekly basis. People will you know pop up and be like, "Hey, I found this new thing." Like there's I think NES more than a lot of other consoles. There's like just a a a depth to like variants and and like random you know five screw games that like before the show we were even talking about we didn't know existed so i i think as if you want to get into the weeds on a console like if, if if that's what you're looking for to collect something that you can really just sink your teeth into and go into the weeds i think nes is probably one of the best consoles to do that yeah, and what I was really getting at, aside from that's all ah, those things edit are out, true. Edit out Stefan's thing because he gave the wrong answer no. too. <laughs> no, <laughs> we should edit both of you out. <laughs> the the point is, no, neither of those answers were were incorrect. The point is that Nintendo is the foundational system for collecting. People, you can say Atari or whatever, but Nintendo is the reason people started to collect. Sure, other people started to collect Atari. some some Sega stuff, some Atari. But the NES was what what really launched it all, right? It's what all the collectors came in and said, here's what it is. It was the nostalgia driving force. The way it saved video games after the Atari crash is the same way it launched video game collecting. The bulk of the collectors, and I know a lot of people are going to be like, excuse me, sir, that's not true. Let me tell you about my Calico. And no one gives a shit, okay? That's not what started it. It's not the wave that came and pushed it in, we won't say mainstream, but into like what it is now, why we have $10,000 games, and why you'll see a story on CNN about it. It's because Nintendo. That's that's how we got here. But that's why NES is important. Because Atari Age was made like 10 years before Nintendo Age? Yeah, and, and how well did Atari Age do? It had people on it, but the minute Nintendo Age, Nintendo Age far outstripped Atari Age, and pretty equal... Like pretty quickly, right? I'm After going to Alexa.com. I don't. Is Nintendo Age more popular than Atari Age? Yes. I feel like Nintendo people are more spread out, and all the old Atari people, if they're not like on Usenet still, they're probably on Atari Age. I mean, that's probably fine, but there's just not going to be as many Atari people as there is Nintendo people, and you don't have like kids today. Nintendo well, is still yeah. a living property. That we were talking about the foundation, though. We're not. We're not talking about well, what is like the breakout but, thing. No, but that's what I'm saying. It is the foundation because it was so popular, right? Atari crashed. People weren't interested in Atari. Nintendo came, changed everybody's minds about video games again, created a whole new group of fans, created the entertainment platform. You know, as of video games, kind of as we know it, kind of the first peak of what video games could be you know, side-scrolling stories, it changed quite a bit. Sure, you can talk about computers, we're able to do this, but this was something that you could give to your kids and put in your living room that allowed people to do this. And then it allowed everything to grow out of that and all the people who are still here today because of Nintendo. People, like, you see people rocking the Atari shirt, but I guarantee you that it's it's all about Mario, right? When- That's why Mario is one of the most known characters in the whole planet, up there with Mickey Mouse. Tell me who the Atari mascot is. Go. Yeah. Uh, 
Pitfall Harry, probably. Um, Pitfall Harry? <laughs> okay, I need to cool. butt in, because you're talking about all this great stuff, how about NES is just such an important console. I just need to say, Atari Age's rank on Alexa.com is double Nintendo Age. Suck oh, it, really? Nintendo yep. Age! <laughs> okay. I also wanted to bring up a point that, actually, Johnny had touched upon it, but from a content perspective, I think a lot of people find their way back to NES more than any other console, because you have so many brands that are alive and well today that started on the nes so i think that's that's how you that's one of the ways that you end up with you know these you know 10 to 12 year old collectors collecting nes games because they played these games on the switch or they you know and and then tracked that backwards uh to the nes and i think that's how a lot of people find their way from modern back to that platform because there's just so many brands that started on that platform also they were just better games like, I, I'll say it, like, people still, like, most Atari games were, like, just a little too basic. Sure. Nintendo added just enough complexity to keep them more interesting longer. Like, an Atari game, maybe after 20 minutes you're done, unless you, you know, are an obsessive, you know, <laughs> drawing on a board, like, this is every board that's going to be on this game, and if I just do these 35 patterns over and over again, I can play this game for an hour until I get a kill screen. Well, cool. and, and and I know that's like really minimalizing people who've made those accomplishments. That's not what I meant, but I, it's just not that interesting. But I th- and I think visual fidelity really played a, a big part in that too, right? Like with the Atari, like yes, gameplay is king. Like I I prioritize gameplay over visuals any day of the week. But but back then, the jump from Atari to NES was really that first time where it was just like, oh yeah, like, in Adventure, I had to suspend my disbelief because my dude didn't look like a dude, he was a cursor, right? And so NES was the first time that I think people really got that visual fidelity outside of, like, the the PC and that kind of thing. But they, they got that visual fidelity where their characters actually looked like what they were supposed to look like, and I think that was important, too. Right, you, you started investing in characters as the characters they were people love mario and you're right pitfall harry is like a character that people go to but i'm just screwing around i mean there's yeah. so many things I mean, on no, atari. It, like the asteroids triangle could be as much of a mascot for atari <laughs> right but i mean as far as pitfall harry people recognize pitfall harry it was such a big property they carried it over to multiple systems to try and make it work but it never worked and in, into the success of pitfall 2 which let's not undermine pitfall 2 because that is an amazing accomplishment of a game, especially on the system it's yep. on. Um, and you won't hear me talk fondly of Atari very often, but that that's like the best. Um, but people don't identify with that. You, like Stefan was saying, now these are characters that people start to invest in them as characters beyond what they were. Think about Link, the, his journey. You know, you're Simon and Trevor Belmont. You just started to like characters, you know their names. And that's the point. Samus. Going back to the uh, the graphics, I mean, we're talking about the graphics, but the 8-bit graphics from the NES are so iconic, and the console has such an identity, which is something that is totally missing from games today. Like, everything is 100% identical on every single platform today. Maybe you could make an argument that Nintendo's first-party games have this, like, really iconic, cartoony 60fps kind of thing going on, but everything on Nintendo looks the same. You look at a game, you, if you didn't know what platform was on, and it's an NES game, you would guess 100% of the time it's on NES. And uh, I, console identity is just so important to me in determining how collectible a console is. Uh, it's like Neo Geo or Sega Genesis. You could tell those games are those games. Once you get up into the Xbox there, it starts getting really dicey. And once the games start feeling samey, it start, I start feeling like the console feels so much less special. 
Well, it's like, you know, consoles since Xbox have pretty much just been like bad computers, right? Yeah. That's that's where we're at. A lot of people don't want to admit that, though. But that's that's what it is. It's it's bad but computers. It's not, and... I mean, it's it's part of the curse of having such good technology now, where everything has to not only be realistic, but it has to live in this world of physics and planet Earth, where games used to just, you know, super glove ball. I don't. What are you? You're a you're a glove, and you throw <laughs> a ball at bricks. That's the game. I don't know. Like it, you you didn't have to live in a world. It didn't have to be a world on NES. It could be anything. Yeah. That that's. That's totally fair, but uh, yeah, that's we we can we can talk a lot about the praise of Nintendo, but how we got here. But let's that that's that's some of your your background information. Hopefully, we didn't lose you. But now let's get into uh, what are the basics. Let's get into that. Um, so, Tyler, do you want to do you want to establish the format, and then Stefan, you'll follow after. Sure. God, right. this is another question from Johnny. So the format, are we not going over the games now? No, we we are going right, we have a list, we have an outline. Go right down the list. Was that not the what is it? Did we not just yeah, do was, what is it? Yeah, yeah, so we're on B. So we're going over the games now. Yes. Right answer, going over. got it. All right, guys. We did it. I'm going to say there are two main sets that people collect on the NES, at least in the United States. Because that's where we all are, and that's the only thing I know. Sorry. Uh, we've got the licensed set, of which there are 677 games. Wikipedia says there are 679 games. They are counting two games that don't exist. It might be the Zelda Gold variants. It might be Nintendo World Championships. I don't know. Whenever I see people say there are 679 games, it drives me crazy. There are 677 games. We know that. That's like, if there's a single console, we know to death. It's the freaking NES, guys. 677 games. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 677. And then, Stephen, uh, you have to add on to that, or are you done, Tyler? I guess we should bring it up. And again, this is one of those things that we bring up and then tell people they're wrong about it, because uh, some people really don't want to include stadium events in that. So I have legitimately seen people uh, phrase this as 676 plus one, or something of that nature. Um, whereas, you know, generally it's just because people don't want to pony up for a $10,000 game. Yeah, that's... That's fair, and just we'll we'll just address it now since you brought it up, Stefan. Stadium events is it a variant? Fuck no, no. <laughs> no. World class track we all, is the variant. It's literally a if different you, If you wanted anything to be a variant, cartridge. yeah. Well, but people ask that, and people say, "Oh, well, you could just do that," and you could go get that and have a game that is kind of just like that. But stadium events is not the variant. Stadium events is the original. So everything else. Is is after is hogwash and dog shit. Yeah, you can't have a variant uh, so, that comes before something that's not a variant. Right. So it is the original release. Just to clear that up, it is not unlicensed. It's licensed. It doesn't matter that it was recalled. None of that matters. It counts. It counts. It's six seventy seven, not six seventy six. I've got a six seventy six set and a repro. So, but I don't count it as six seventy seven. Now, Tyler. Tell us, uh, want to tell us about the unlicensed games? How many are there? Well, unlicensed is super weird because technically anything that Nintendo didn't make is not licensed, and there's like different universes of this. A lot of people say there are quote unquote 90 US releases, 
And that does not include the Aladdin carts, which I think you 100% have to include. There's an exclusive Aladdin game. It's one of the Dizzy games is exclusive. Fantastic Adventures of Dizzy. But including the Aladdin games, which you have to include, there are 97 uh, unlicensed games, plus, uh, you know, all the homebrew and all the other region releases, the, all the weird pirate stuff that's ever been released. And then there's a very big exception here. And that is that people like don't bring this up enough, but Cheetah Men 2... Uh, never had an official release. I mean, people know that. It was, like, found in a warehouse, 1,500 copies, and just, like, sold somewhere. Uh, that game was never released, but everyone kind of counts it as if it was. I think Cheetah Men 2 is an excellent collectible. It's a really cool thing to own, but it's not really part of any set. It's just, it's in its own category, but no one counts it as that. So, is that counted in part of the 90? That would be in the 90, yes, and in the 97, either way you look at it. I, I don't know. Everyone does it, so... Uh, you want me to go out? So, Racer Mate Challenge 2. So, this game... I remember people used to not consider this. Like, they were like... like 80% of people maybe didn't consider Racer Mate Challenge 2 as part of the NESA. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm remembering this from uh, Digipress. But Racer Mate Challenge 2 was only sold with an exercise bike and its own console. So, it's not like a game that you went to the store and bought. bought. It's basically the Outback Joey of the NES. And over the past 10 years... Everyone considers it. It's like 100% an unlicensed game now. And because of that, that's personally why I feel that Outback Joey is part of the Sega Genesis set. Even though if I could go back and rewrite history, both of these games would be their own like weird exception category. Like I would put Cheetah Men 2 into. But because everyone considers these, it's like, all right, well, I guess these are part of this set now. Well, though they are such asterisks. Not, not, don't, don't get into the Outback Joey fight. We can save that for <laughs> for, for another episode. So we've we've got these numbers, Tyler. Wait, one Where... more thing. So Impossible oh, Mission 2, exact same game, was released by both uh, SEI and AVE. They look totally different, but it's the exact same game. And I know, like other consoles, people count publisher variants. So the one that comes to mind is uh, Centipede. The Accolade Centipede on Game Boy is super rare, but it's the exact same game as whoever published the other one. Um I don't, it's just, it's, I think it might even be the exact same ROM, so it's just, like, a release difference, it's not even a game difference, but that's just another really weird Just case. the housing? I mean, th- I mean, it's like a $15 game, so who cares, but that stuff really bothers me. Well, but Centipede is not, it's the difference of, like, $30 to, like, I think, five to $1,500 or something? Yeah, Centipede, complete knock, that's hot shit. Yeah. None what of about, yep. Tyler, what about the, um, the color variants of Chiller? That's coming later in the episode, Stefan. Hold your horses. We have a whole variance. Well, because we're talking. I know. About I'm talking about variance. God damn it. Well, those are. Yep. Yeah, I guess that's that. Kind I was of... just curious whether or not that counts as part of the like the conventional wisdom unlicensed set. No, like a lot of people don't even know about the blue chiller. That is such like a hot shit obscure thing. I think. Like yeah, I mean, like obviously, like people like hole. in the know on Nintendo age all know about it, but like your average guy out at the game store collecting NES is like blue chiller. What like blue Bible tree or Bible adventures? They would just price it however they saw it right. and uh, never think twice about it. But what I want what I want to get to is these numbers, right? Because people people don't understand if you haven't been collecting long enough, you're just like everything's got a number, everything's got a list. But where did the number in the list come from? Where did where did we get this list? Because this is an important part of like foundationally how people collect now. It, it was it's a big deal. Johnny is is Myriad 6 and 1 a variant? <laughs> uh sure 
what I mean, how people tell with like lists like i feel like i've gone on about how well, you need I to generate to your talk- own list i feel that for nes people have definitely made good lists you could just use nintendo age lists and license and unlicensed games if that's all you want to collect fine but you have to s- snuff out these edge cases and you have to decide what uh, weird foreign stuff and homebrew and all that other weird stuff that we're going to talk about in the sep- second episode you want to collect because there's certainly are a lot, lot more than 800 Nintendo games. Or, you know, there's like that 760 number that pops up somewhere. But there's way, way more than that if you really look into what's out there. I mean, I can say what? that the generally the, the the unlicensed collectors that I run into count Marriott and Caltron as separate releases. Okay, that, well, that wasn't exactly... Man, I feel like... I answered wrong again! Bat- God, I yeah, don't know I'm, what Johnny... Johnny want, like he... Like, we talked about this beforehand. He's asking me these questions like, all right, now just... Give me your spiel, Tyler. You've already planned this. Just yeah, just go off say the thing about the Mike Etler list. Yeah. Oh, is that what you were going with? Oh, we're going back. Yes. We're going back up in the outline. Oh, you were trying to highlight it, but I was too far down. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> trying to show you what I wanted. All right, All right so we're just doing to... really bad on this episode, guys. We're awful. <laughs> Keep going. But we'll get so, feedback of people saying that this was the best episode we've ever done. Oh no, God. no, there. This, this, this is going to be the Nintendo. This is going to be the wrestling episode part two. <laughs> all right. So if we say anything wrong in this episode, first of all, obviously we apologize. Second of all, we've probably contributed absolutely nothing to any of the information that we're going to tell you today because this information has been gathered by people over the past thirty years. They freaking perfected it. They have everything. Uh, Stefan said something like, we find a new thing at NES every day. I disagree with that, because I feel like if anything is documented, it's NES. It's the only thing you can go on GameFAQs, and there's like a, a list of complete-in-box contents. There's one for Sega Genesis 2. But I'm going I'm going off the rails. I know, Johnny. You want me to talk about Mike Etler. Where did this list show up in, like, Usenet? So this guy named Mike Etler. This is the big uh, list of every Nintendo game. Probably the first major one that kind of everyone looked at back in the day. And uh, I think uh, NESWorld.com was also big back then. I was not big into Nintendo. I might have visited NESWorld. I think I've looked at the Mike Etler list when I was, like, just playing emulators and stuff. But I was not, like, collecting at this point. So, Johnny, were you collecting in the Mike Etler days? I wasn't. Not really. I mean, I I was still pretty new because, you know, I came in in 2004. So, which is, you know, a long time ago. But not as old as like you're part of like the nineteen ninety nine. I don't know. However, you count collecting waves. But this was before our time, so we don't have a lot to say about it. The Mike Etler list is hilarious because uh, it'll have things like Tengen Tetris as an A plus rarity, meaning it's like the rarest thing you could possibly own, and like Stadium Events I think is only an A. So <laughs> that, there's yeah weird funny things like that. I uh, the yeah. So this list, but the point was that like. This was one of the early compiled lists of a system because you think, oh, Nintendo just had a list. And Nintendo did kind of have a list, but it didn't have everything. Didn't look at any of the unlicensed things. And it was like a list that started to look at the rarity of games. And the problem with lists like this and the legacy of lists like this is it's still screwing up collecting to this day. To this day, Mike Etler and his rarity listing has cost people hundreds of dollars thousands of dollars like tetris it's not that uncommon but it i mean it's not that rare it's uncommon but it still fetches like for a long time it was still a hundred plus dollar game even after people had already gone through the process of going these rarity listings are bullshit all this is wrong 
let's reevaluate. I mean, you got some right, but like, let's just reevaluate this list and be like, this is incorrect. We know that this is not that hard to find. Well, Tetris, I mean, Tetris people wanted to buy it to play it, but he still has a lot of other like funny rarities. Like I'll, I'll basically, when did eBay become a thing? Like this must've been before eBay. He was like basically scrounging on news groups for games. And that's where he, it, it's like one guy's opinion, right? I mean, but eBay, eBay had just become a thing, but there weren't pictures and stuff. So it was hard. You know, it's the early days of eBay. The point is like, Lists like these are important, but they can also be very damaging. So, especially on this show when we're like, hey, this is a list of things. But, um, like, when we get hesitant about some stuff, about, like, really committing to how rare something is or, or on a list. Like, why I hesitate to say anything about Game Boy Advance. And people ask for, like, a DS show, a how to collect for DS. This was specifically requested. I'm like, I don't know how to talk about it yet because I don't want to be the Mike Etler of DS. Okay. <laughs> People already have like some kind of list, but I don't want to be the guy who messes it up for everyone. I'm like this game, super rare goth, go out and find it right now. I'm telling you. And then all of a sudden you're like, this game is very common. Why did it, why did anyone pay a hundred dollars for this? Which is a thing that will happen. And I mean, it's still happening in collecting. I hear today, solo to with, robo is the rarest DS game and I should be paying hundreds of dollars for it. Which is why we love. Uh, shout out to uh, Random Tens uh, <laughs> for all of his great content. The rarest, uh, I mean, most common mistakes made are in those videos. So if you want to be those collectors, if you want to be the Reddit of collecting, <laughs> join him. Anyway, I gotta say, uh, so I'm looking at this list. It's it's called Version 4.0 by Mike Etler. I can't find any of the uh, earlier copies. It's from 1997. I is pretty good. Basically, the the huge mistakes I'm seeing are a lot of the unlicensed games are listed as basically super rare because maybe it was harder to find them before everything was on eBay all the time. But I mean, it wasn't like, you know, sometimes if we talked about DS or Xbox games right now, we would probably get a snapshot of history like World Racing 2 on Xbox. When I was collecting Xbox, that game was impossible to find for me and nothing on xbox is impossible to find so i would have rated that as like the rarest xbox game but i bet if you did it now you might find totally different games that are doing that but there's no like really really stupid things like that in this list anyway no, are we going too no, much I, about mike Hitler? no yeah we we are going a little too deep but the point is there's like a, a foundational thing that that happens when these lists are created mistakes can be made i'm not even saying he did that bad of a job because really he contributed a, a pretty good list that got us to a place where people were at least talking about rarity, which was very important, which hadn't really been done. So uh, that's that's like a big deal. And that's like one of the things that starts to establish like nest collecting and, and how deep it goes. But we, we spent too much time on this. Let, let's move on. Stefan. Oh. I, I was sitting here reading about eBay because I wanted to, to, to try to place when this list came out versus when eBay was founded. And it says 1995, but as Auction Web, which apparently was a way to buy and sell Pez dispensers. Anyway. Um, I'm going to guess almost all of his info was based on Usenet and not Auction Web. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I think trolling eBay is a thing that started to happen early, but not not at the levels it is used now. Yeah, I was I was mainly curious because you know I always hear talk about how you know eBay was what sunk the or one of the big contributing factors for sinking the Atari market because you know people realized how not rare some of their items were when people just started to sell them in mass on eBay. 
Uh, I think that's garbage because I was still finding stuff people were calling rare Atari in like 1998 and still not paying the dollar they wanted for it. (laughs) Sure. So. All right. Well, moving on after, uh, after the Mike Etler list, I don't, that was like the late nineties and then early two thousands, mid two thousands. I sure was on digit press. I don't know. Johnny sounded like he was on digit press too. Atari age was a thing, but who cares about Nintendo and Atari age, right? um digipress was the shit it was it was a website it still is but i bet it has been updated in over 10 years every single video game that's ever been released they would try to assign a rarity value to it and that was super cool yep and that's why we went there they even had this cool book that you could buy that and take around with you as you hunted that had the rarity in there and like the like what you should look for price wise like, this thing was like my bible when i first started like collecting. a like a beckett <laughs> yeah, yeah basically like <laughs> they, a wanted, they were going to be like the beckett of video games How they had yeah. a couple of those at prge and i didn't buy them and now i regret it now that we're talking about it oh man it was a sad day i was uh, something happened and a bunch of water got into my trunk and destroyed my my digit press guide i was so sad that day and now, and, and now and everyone and their mom is putting out a book about NES. They're like, oh, check out my new NES guide. It's going over all the Nintendo games. It's like, yeah, all right. I have three books that already do that. What are you doing? Yeah, wow. <laughs> no, I'm really wow, passionate about the for... NES. Oh, okay. Thank you for breaking new ground. <laughs> Anyways, we get, that, that could be a whole episode. The This new trend of, I made a book about a system. You know, like those four other books about a system, but here's why mine's great. Like, I'm just gonna get gross. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> shit pan those guys right now. They don't deserve Aww. my ire. But anyways, yeah. So we were in the Digipress era, and then we kind of like matured into Nintendo Age, which um, that was like 2006-2007s when Nintendo Age formed. Uh, yep, and, and that was like a weird. There was like a PlayStation Age. There was a Sega Age, and none of them caught on like Nintendo Age did. Because no, cares I, Nintendo Age has been around for a, before 2006. It wasn't like 2005. Right, I can't well, remember. I, I think it was 2005. Joined, but, all right. uh, yeah, you're thinking when you joined because we had Dane on the show and he he gave us like the actual lowdown. You want to find out more about Nintendo Age's history, see our interview with Dane, the founder of Nintendo Age, on like a very early episode, like episode 11 or 13 of, of the Collector's Quest podcast. You can find that. But anyways, that established Nintendo as like this, you know, it's like where a bunch of Nintendo collectors started to culminate, go deep in the woods, and get us to where we can finally start talking about this show 38 minutes into the episode. Woo! Hey, That's you cool. guys like yeah. collecting the NES? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, whew, we should put a cautionary tale on the front of this one. <laughs> Anyways, let's go into uh, how you collect for the Nintendo. Do you, is there anything you want to say, Tyler, before we go on? Because I know you ooh, always have gonna, Ooh, we're giving me little points in the middle to go back. I like this. It, were we not going to talk about prices? Are you going to... No, we are. Okay. We are we're going to talk about the difference of loose and complete. We're going to go through the whole list that we normally go through on the So You Want to Collect For, but this has been the most rambling episode we've ever done, ever. I want to give one more incredible. point about Nintendo Age. Uh, Nintendo Age has also a cart database, a rarity database. Whenever these guys were making it, it was awesome. They've got like PCB pictures and variant pictures and all that kind of stuff. A ton of regional variants. It's a huge database. And that has also not been updated in a little bit. So... I would say some of their rarity ratings seem a little suspect to me now. Uh, like, I'm going into, like, Game Boy, not just NES. But, you know, don't take well, Nintendo yeah. Age as a Bible just because it's kind of the most recent rarity guide that we have out there. But it's, like, for for NES, like, their NES info is pretty dialed. Yeah. 
They even have stadium yeah, so, events as a nine and not a ten now, which is freaking rad because they, there's yeah. a lot rarer stuff than stadium events. Also, right, so, I mean, it is it is a, a message board and a really big one, and so if you're, it, it's a good resource to just talk to people about these kinds of things too. So if there's something that you're not unsure about from a rarity standpoint, it is a it is a good place to. It's a good resource to go and just ask, and thousands of people will be happy to tell you. Yeah, that, that's full of a bunch of opinionated uh, Nintendo nerds who love Nintendo and love talking about it. So that's how we all wound up there. And there's three so, guys still yeah, hanging I'm, out I'm, to Digit Press. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I when I don't say mean things about Nintendo Age, uh, that's not a mean statement. I'm lumping myself into that group of of uh, of nerds who want to talk to you about Nintendo. So let's talk about just collecting for the Nintendo Entertainment System. How big a disparity is it between loose and complete? Stefan, tell me what what price wise like is it is it vastly different or is it close? Like what's going on it, here? It's it's a good fifty thousand dollars roughly. Uh, Wrong answer. Set. All right. What's <laughs> what? the next question? <laughs> that was the right That's answer. A- I'm like, I put those numbers. That was one of the only things I contributed to this. List. I think he was actually talking. So I'm going to say that was a wrong answer because I think he was talking about on an average game basis. What would you expect the loose to complete about to be? Not the entire set. I'm going to let you answer both questions. They're All both right. good questions. Go. Anyway, um, so it's not as as big a disparity as as, as like um, Game Boy is, for instance, because that that is horrendously huge. But yeah, I mean, there some of these games is are you know three, four, five, six times the the value cart versus cart versus that uh, seems CIB. unbelievably high. You think? I mean, I'll go digging. I'll do it. Johnny, give us some reality here. I would say. Two to three times is probably more realistic. Twice as expensive for a complete game in average condition. Like you're gonna spend three times for like a super nice one. Yeah, about about three times. I mean, it it always depends on the game. That's that's the interesting thing about Nintendo. Um, the more in demand the game is to play, much like with Super Nintendo, the more demand it is, the higher the value of the cart, and sometimes that doesn't affect the box priced as much as it should. So it started to change. I did an episode a long time ago where I started to tell people how to collect, like really analyze the difference between a box copy and a cart only copy to decide which you should buy. If you're a cart only collector, you can make money this way to find the discrepancy. But I would say it's about two times, two to 2.5 times usually Sometimes more, sometimes less. I think, on but the, it's in that range. On the on the ultra low end, you actually see a a, a a larger disparity. I think, like for instance, ten yard fight is a like a three dollar game loose and a fourteen dollar game complete. Um, so well, that's probably because yeah. it's a black box game. That's the only reason people want it. But like, or like three D World Runner, you know, a five dollar game versus a thirty dollar game. Like that's that's what I'm well, saying. Like like at, yeah, at the low right. end, I think you you find those bigger disparities. Well, and like for black box games, and we're kind of going in the weeds here. Back in the day, Donkey Kong Jr. Math used to be like a $15 cart compared to like a $700 box game. And now I still think it's like a $700 to $800 box game. But now the cart, I think, is like $100 or something. I think... uh... So, like, those gaps are closing. But there are... I mean, there are areas... We're talking, you know, on rate, like on average. What are we talking about the general discrepancy is? Not not the outliers, because I would consider those outliers. 
And the cool thing about NES is that every game came with a dust sleeve and the manual fits in the dust sleeve. So it's not like you're going to be hunting down manuals because a lot of people kept their manuals, which is nice. Yeah, that 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 is true. Also, just as a side note, if you put your manual in your box and you put it in the dust sleeve, put it spine up so you don't bend the pages. Didn't the man... Just don't you not put the manual in the dust sleeve? Dust sleeves aren't actually big enough to hold manuals. That's just like no, what a kid would uh, do not, to cram it in. Like no, no, like on, not in, but like on the side. Like put spine up. You know, people put the pages up. Like people put the pages up and then they put it in front of the cartridge where the flap folds down and then oh. they crinkle their pages. Put the manual in the back, spine up. I mean, there, there's there's another argument there that says it's then resting on the spine, which is why I think you should put your Nintendo games on your side like I do because you're less likely to damage the manual, but whatever. Just store your um, manuals and boxes separately. Screw box games. Yep. Not manuals. Store well. your games and boxes separately. All my, no, all my boxes no. on the shelf are empty or full of Super Mario Duck Hunt cards. Or just buy loose carts and then that's yeah. it. And then never worry about it. Gross. <laughs> that's super gross, but that, that's fine. Um, anyway, so loose versus complete. There, There's always going to be disparity there. Nintendo, um, Nintendo brings collectors... Of all ranges, though. Stefan is a strict card-only collector. Uh, the nice thing about Nintendo carts is it's got a spine label, so you can read what the title is, which makes... And they're uniform, you know, they're beautiful little gray squares. So it's easy to collect them as card-only and display them nicely. For me, too, I think it was about... Making the decision was a lot about, like, that's what my childhood looked like, right? Like a stack of gray little squares. Like, I didn't, I didn't keep my boxes when I was a kid, so there's something... You know, I'm not saying that, you know, cart collecting is the be-all end-all, right? Obviously, it's it's more economical, and that's nice, and it takes up less space, and that's nice. But for me, like, the big uh, deciding factor when I was getting into to collecting for NES was that that's what reminded me of my childhood. I just couldn't afford boxes when I was 14 years old, and <laughs> now I'm paying as much for games as I would have paid for Super Mint Complete Boxes back then. All of this is true, but not relevant to, uh, to people right. who want information. Hot tip, uh, NES cartridges are the same size as a CD. Some people are like, what are some good shelves for NES and Super Nintendo games? They're they're all the same size as a CD. Just get CD shelves. Come on, guys. Use your brain. Yep, they, they fit very well. Uh, also, a Nintendo game in a box on its side is roughly the same size as a Super Nintendo box uh, as far as length goes. Not width, but length. So if a Super Nintendo fits uh, game fits on that uh, in box, then a Nintendo game in a box on its side will also fit on that same shelf. What about an N64 box? Yes, What about too. two PlayStation games, but one of them's on its side? Okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> let's talk about... Stefan already kind of told you the price of a full collection Loose versus complete. Uh, the difference is like thirty-five thousand dollars to about eighty-two thousand dollars, somewhere roughly in that. And that loose set, so that oh, stadium uh, events is ten thousand dollars of that, so twenty-five thousand dollars for you know that six hundred seventy-six set that basically everyone goes for because stadium events is such an outlier in terms of price. I think that yeah, I think that is something to talk about too. Just in, uh, collecting for any set in general is that in in almost every set you're going to find that. 99% or 90% of the value of the collection is in like 1 or 2% of of the collection physically. So people who look at these gigantic numbers um and get intimidated by that, you know, know that a bulk of that value is occupied by a very small percentage of the set. 
Yeah, that that's true. But Nintendo is especially egregious for this uh, on the NES because stadium events is so far out of whack uh, compared to any other like Nintendo system. There's there's not another game like that. And like if you look at Super Nintendo and you start like, oh, well, Super uh, Mountain Bike Racer, Exertainment, Speed Racer combo, like that's like twenty five hundred dollars. You know, that's not like sealed, right? Like, yeah, it can be sealed or stadium events for that. Yeah, well, stadium events is such an extreme outlier that a lot of times when I when I run my numbers on Nintendo, I subtract it because it totally it ambushes the average price of the games. Like, if you just said the average price of the game is a hundred dollars, you're like, holy shit, what is it really? Maybe or maybe not. Let's let's take stadium events out and actually ask on average what there was like if there was some reason a game that sold for one penny i also wouldn't count that i mean it wouldn't really like that if that would be such a weird outlier and that's basically what stadium events is so if you are going to collect for the system and you are looking at lists it is important to note that the price of stadium events it is so high it is throwing the scales of of averages out the window so unless that site is said, hey, from this, we've removed some outliers or they've, you know, done like medians and stuff and got getting getting you a truer average uh, without cutting off the the tails on both sides. Don't uh, don't don't uh, let steam events throw off all of your number planning. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, because looking a, it's looking at deal. the looking at that loose set number that we were talking about, that thirty four thousand stadium events on that same list is occupying almost a third of that number, which is right and ridiculous. You, well, I think you were trying to say that like a lot of the one percent makes it up, but yeah. Nintendo is specific. Like, there's no other one game that's gonna for like a Nintendo console that does that. No. And the crazy part is, like, this doesn't happen at all on the unlicensed side. Like, unlicensed basically, you know, tops out. You know, there's, you got your, like, Cheetahmans and your Myriads, but those are, like, one, two, maybe $3,000. I haven't really kept up on the prices on that. Uh, there's nothing that totally blows it away until you get into, like, the we- really weird stuff we're going to talk about in the other episode. Uh, it just shows you, like, yeah. the power that that Nintendo seal of quality does. Like, when people have a set in mind and they're like, I could get this and disregard all the other games because I will have this set of Nintendo games. They'll pay anything for stadium events. Or when you're Stefan and you just want the hottest Nintendo game, which is cooler than Nintendo World Championships, you'll just buy stadium events without having all the other Nintendo games. That's still incorrect. Okay. So, I, uh, yeah, like, uh, a complete Super Nintendo set is roughly... $52,000. Now imagine that if stadium events was in that number, that would be like half the cost of that whole set. Yeah. And it's one fourth the cost of a Nintendo. Set. So what we're basically Completely trying to boxed. say is Nintendo is special and super Nintendo's not. So too yeah, bad that, guys. That's no, what I'm saying is the numbers are crazy. So be careful. Anyways, let's talk about hardware variants. This well, this is supposed to be super basic information, so let's keep that in mind. We're we're going a little in the weeds here, guys. Tell me about hardware variants, uh, Stefan. How many different hardware revisions are there? Major hardware revisions. I, I'm not talking about different types of boxes. I'm like, what are the major hardware revisions? I mean, if you're not considering like pack-ins, where like you know some I'm not, one has a gun or one revisions. has a, yeah. Wrong I, answer. You guys are so bad at answering my questions. Go. I was contexting it. Um, then there's what two, right? Just the yeah, 
just the the, well, the toaster and the the top loader. Right. And tell us uh, tell us about the difference of those. And uh, I know Tyler will have some other information, but what's the basic difference on those? The the very basic uh, difference is that one loads from the front and the other loads from the top. The top loader is a piece of fucking garbage. And if you own one and actually use it, you're a fucking idiot. Oh, hot take from Tyler. <laughs> Tyler, wow, wow, some strong language. A top is loader is the show. worst way to play Nintendo games. Maybe there's some clone Yobo console. Probably not even. I bet clone Yobo consoles are better than the top loader. Okay, tell us, tell us why though. Okay, top loader obviously rarer than the toaster NES because um, you put the cartridge in top. It has a more reliable pin connector, which people think is the reason they want a top loader, but they are wrong. Um, well explain that explain that to people because that's exactly when you're new and collecting you hear man the toaster is really hard you got to blow in your games or do this like weird way you push it in so you don't push on the pins too hard and you get a true connection and this top loader i just put a nintendo game dusty as shit doesn't matter it plays okay so tell explain to them gently tyler gently they didn't do anything wrong they just don't know they they don't right, know. So and top that's why loader, here, it has RF out only. Regular NES has composite out. Top loader is only RF out. So they're like, great, I will mod it with composite. I will spend, you know, $100 on a top loader NES because I'm already going to spend twice what a regular NES costs. And I'm going to spend like another 50 bucks to mod it or whatever. So you do that. And then the top loader still has the lowest quality video output of an NES that you can get. And it has this jail bar effect over the screen. So when you're looking at solid colors on a top loader, there'll be vertical lines that come down over the screen. And you know, you're playing on a CRT and you totally don't care because you're you're playing it over composite or something or, or even RF. Maybe you don't care and you don't notice, but a side-by-side -side comparison, even on a CRT, which looks like garbage, either composite or RF, it is super obvious that the top loader sucks and you shouldn't use it. So the top loader is worse in your opinion and by fact because the video quality, the fidelity you're going to get out of a top loader is always going to be inferior to just buying a traditional Nintendo. If you're just going to buy, if you want to buy a Nintendo, buy a toaster and get it modded for a better output and get a new pin connector. Get a 72 pin connector installed. That will make all of your dusty games play a lot better. Okay, someone's going to yell at me because there's probably a way to mod a top loader. I know you can do a jail bar fix. There's like various ways to fix that. But why would and you go through all that yeah. trouble when you can just <laughs> buy a regular Nintendo? Yes. You could, sure. You know, uh, it, that's lipstick on a pig. Okay. Also, don't buy a new 72 pin connector. Want. We want to fight about that because they're all made in China and they are all garbage, at least when I was buying them. Well, I would buy them and, okay. and resell the NESs, so I didn't care. But yeah, you don't need the NES pin connectors, they, they still work. You just refurbish them and they're fine. So. Okay, and here's a. Uh, uh, I'm going to give you another quick second here, Tyler, uh, to get up on your high horse. Tell people when they're cleaning pins on their games or on their connectors, how much Brasso should they use? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, don't use Brasso. I can't even get into it. Once you, if I start like saying specific products or specific methods of cleaning the pin connector, like people talk about like boiling the pins or something. Like, Forget it. Like Everyone's going to yell at me because everyone has their own particular way if you, the one thing I can say, if you use Brasso on the pin connector and get that all gummed up, like you'll never get that out unless you ultrasonic clean that. So don't do that. That's really stupid. But uh, like people talk about like boiling pins, and then like people will latch onto that, and then they'll repeat it, and they'll say like, "Yeah, you boil the dirt off." And it's like that's not even 
what is supposed to be happening. It's supposed to be like expanding the pins so they return to their original positions. So all this kind of fake information gets added onto and perpetuated in this weird way. Uh, but I've never had a problem like just literally taking a toothbrush and, and scrubbing down a pin connector. And as long as my games are super clean, I, I use like deoxit on the pin connector and on the game. And you clean the edge connector in between the NES motherboard and the pin connector. You can't forget about that. And your games will work. It'll be it'll be great. If you ever have that's... a game that won't load an NES, it's either a blinking screen or a solid white screen. It's a connection problem between the motherboard, the pin connector, and the cartridge. And people will be like, but I cleaned all of that. That's where the problem still is. You didn't do a good enough job. And don't you and don't need to exactly cut your 10 NES you chip power. too. There's a lockout chip on the NES that doesn't make your games load more reliably. Fight me on that one too, haters. You want to you want to fight me about the 10 NES chip? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I want to I want to stop you right there, Tyler, because you did a very good job of explaining. So don't buy a just, top loader is what I'm trying to say. Jesus Christ. However, don't buy a top loader, and. I, uh, clean your pins, and there you go. What are you going to... Stefan, please, God, don't say anything positive about a top loader. No, I'm just saying just, that uh, since you, both you and Tyler, RGB is not your thing, I will say that if you RGB mod either console, you get the exact same video output. So uh, if that is your intention to RGB mod them, then it doesn't matter what you go with. You can get a top loader, and it'll be just fine. Okay. I'm sitting in front of an so RGB we have... modded SNES right here. So there we go. There's the bottom. Bottom line is, all of your Nintendos are probably still going to work. You don't have to do that much work to get them back into nice shape. Nintendo made a very reliable product. There's only two hardware variations on it. Uh, not like not like the Xbox where there's going to be so many chip revisions and stuff on the 360 between the final one they released and the first one they released. Even though it's still just called a 360, it's crazy how different those are. Yeah, some of that happened on the Nintendo to a little to an extent. But basically, there's two versions of it, the good one and the bad one. So don't buy the bad one, which is the top loader. We don't even need to get the controllers are a different shape, uh, the bone controllers, the worst controllers, uh, even though they feel well, nice in the hands. That's more controversial than anything I said. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, they I, look, they feel nice in the hand, but the, the button layout is not. If you're trained on the other controller, that you should just stick to that. So now... We kind of talked about this a little, and I don't think we need to go too deep into this. How hard is this to collect for? And uh, is it popular, guys? <laughs> Stephanie, you want to try to, to yeah. answer this one correctly? I think this is a softball. Oh, well, yeah. I, but we already, like, we're disagreeing with it about it earlier, too. Like, because I, I don't think it's that difficult to collect for, especially if you're, if you're talking the license set. Um, I think if, um, because it's so popular, um, it makes it, it makes it easier to find even the quote unquote rare stuff. You know, it's the rare stuff is expensive. So people sent, sell it regularly. Um, so I think none of us, none of us argued this. Point. I think the more, totally. the more mainline or the, the more mainstream any collection is, the easier it is going to be collect for because there's so many people establishing a market for it. Nintendo is one of the easiest systems to collect for the end. Your yeah, game like store will carry talking, it. My game store doesn't yeah. even carry freaking Atari games. But you can go yeah. into Goodwill, they probably have an NES section. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the point. Nintendo is super easy to collect for. It's really well known. It's very popular. The We just talked about its 30-year of like collecting history and how deep everyone goes. 
everything is really well known. The prices are really well, like the, you're not going to see these wild fluctuations usually unless there's like a, someone does a popular YouTuber does a video. The prices are kind of set. We, it's, they're just following normal market trends, not not like people just discovering something and being like, this is a hidden gem. We'll go into that later. Don't talk about it. Uh, it's established. It's popular. People know it's worth money. There's stories in Time Magazine, you know, on ABC News. Everywhere you go, you can find a story about a Nintendo game that was expensive or something about retro collecting. And the first thing they're going to show you is a Nintendo. Not hard to collect for. Doesn't mean it's not expensive because it, it is kind of an expensive set. Even if you take stadium events out, it, it's expensive. If you start to get into the unlicensed stuff, it gets a little weird. There it gets dicey. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But uh, that those are those are different wires. So if you're just talking about licensed stuff, very easy, straightforward, kind of expensive. The end. To bring up one of my uh, one of my favorite Instagram posts from Stefan, uh, nothing is rare because Carrier Fortress at Sea exists. That's right. Um, so NES does have a few genuine, genuinely rare games, but I love like consoles like 3DO or like who knows how many of those Carrier Fortress do, do, exist. Do we want to get into the fight when people say rarity? Do you want me to do this no, fight right now? Probably <laughs> have had this. Fight. Do you want me to know? All want, right, that's one want, hour, guys. Wanna, Thanks wanna, for listening look, to the Collector's Quest it. podcast. That's all for this. This is the is, fight that Johnny picked with me world. on Instagram. Because it's an asshole thing to say. <laughs> oh, let I'm so tell, about that me, asshole. No, no, no. Stop. No. It's an asshole thing to say. You are an asshole when you said it. All you other collectors out there are assholes when you say it. Oh, you're so hipster. Oh, you think this is rare? That's not rare because this is rare. You know what? F you, shut your stupid mouth. <laughs> we're, t- we're trying to establish a baseline for how hard it is to find a thing on its specific console. Rarity is not a moving target. It is either rare or it isn't. I get that. But when we talk about collectibles, we put them on a spectrum because people say, oh, this pop is really rare. They only made 10,000 of them. 10,000 is the minimum print run for a Nintendo game. Okay, so how how rare is 10,000? It's not that rare. If you look at coins... There's coins that, that they just discovered. We only have this one only survived. This one coin. This one comic book is the only one we know to still exist. And it had a print run of only a couple hundred. This is the only remaining one. That's rare. None of this shit is rare. It's all mass-produced yeah. garbage. Johnny, 95% <laughs> okay? of my homebrew games have definitely less than 200 copies printed. So all this, this regular licensed Nintendo bullshit is garbage. So don't tell right. me it's rare. So... But that's not the point. The point is when you tell someone, no, you tell someone, well, that's not rare. People are speaking the language. You're in a specific community. You're all sharing the same vernacular. We know what you mean when you say that. So don't try and don't get petty and shitty with someone. That's not rare. That's not Uh rare. Look, I get petty and shitty with the best of them, but not on this. Just don't do that. That's stop doing that. The end and rant slash end. That oh, wasn't what I would have chose to rant on, but okay. Yeah. Oh, wrong answer, you, yeah, Tyler. Ra- <laughs> yeah. Look, you you stooges don't get. You've answered every question wrong. <laughs> every single softball I've thrown you, you started out wrong. Let's <laughs> talk about game. And and there's a document, people. There's a document with the answers. You got. Oh, this is like failing a test that was open book. All right, so just to uh, to give our listeners the counterpoint to that, uh, me and Stefan disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and you and Stefan are both assholes. That's fair. 
Yeah, why, why, why be that? You know what people are talking about. Why, why shit on them? Why shit on them needlessly? It's uh, why? No, explain to me what. Let's do it on the <laughs> podcast. Why shit on people needlessly? Go. You knew what they meant. Did 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 you feel better when you said it? Like what? I don't berate people for this. Well, then what's the point? What 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 is the point of it? Go ahead, tell me, give me an answer. So the, okay, here the, here's here's what I'm gonna say. When I think of rarity, I think of something you have to hunt for because it's hard to find. Not that it's just hard to buy. So. Yeah, something like Little Samson is rare, but I can almost guarantee there's at least one Little Samson on eBay right now. Carrier Fortress at sea is rare enough to the point where I won't even be able to find one for sale. But that is also a mass-produced thing. That is also not rare. So you are also using the term wrong. You're both you're you're wrong. You're all wrong. You're just different levels of wrong. What about so, what about uh, the ooze on second Genesis? <laughs> super super rare. Super rare. See, anyone actually have a good point to make on this subject or can we move on? You got answers? Uh yep, you're outnumbered and you lost. We understand. That that's uh the the volume of people being wrong and the amount of people wrong does not change the minority being correct. I like how you and I were the ones who had this fight, and yet I didn't even have to say anything. Just Tyler <laughs> Tyler defended my honor for me on this. Oh, yeah, I love that yeah, post he, so much, and I love that Johnny hated it. <laughs> it's times like that that I wish Instagram had a dislike button. So I could dislike your stupid post. Also, it's like when someone says the thing that you want to say, but you won't say it, because Stefan totally said it in a total, like, shit-eating way, like, ah, that's <laughs> not rare. I got this 3DO yeah. game. Uh, you'll never see this 3DO game. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Was- you think that's rare? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's play the one-up game. God, you guys are assholes. <laughs> it's totally the opposite of the spirit of this show. We're teaching people. Ugh. And you just ruin it. You're you are the Atari age of this of this <laughs> podcast. When was the last time you even went on Atari Age? How can you talk about the temperament of an entire forum you haven't been on in ten years? Well, that's the reason I haven't been there in ten years. <sighs> people hate Nintendo Age too. Yeah, I know. People think Nintendo Age is a bunch of shitty elitists, and that used to be the nice place to go. Imagine that. I don't know. Instagram Moving is literally on. just people showing off either their games or how hot the lens on their camera is. So how is that well, less elitist than Nintendo Age, which is like, I don't know, just some some people talking about games I mean, a little bit. In, Moving on. Instagram is a visual medium, so I mean, there's, I mean, it's like for photograph. Okay, guys, photography. So. I don't, we, I don't give a shit about the 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 of that at all right now. What's games and prices, gentlemen? Tyler, please tell me about the launch games please. All right. So when we go into what's in the actual uh, license set, one of the important things that will come up is the black box games, which is the set of 17 games that the NES launched with in October 18th, 1985. And so I'll just list them all real fast. So we got 10 yard fight, baseball, clue, clue land, duck hunt, excite bike, golf, gyramite, Hogan's alley, ice climber, Kung Fu, pinball, soccer, stack up, tennis, wild gunman, Wrecking Crew and Super Mario Brothers, the only one that matters. Yep. It's a, it's a well-beloved set. People who don't even do full sets a lot of times will go after the full black box set as just like this little subset. People love it. It's iconic. It's classic. You know, what what more can you say? It's the black box games. It's the reason that they have a, like their own little title. 
And so the and, NES, um, it only launched with the, uh, oh gee, the deluxe set, right? So there was like it wasn't the action set that everyone bought with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. That wasn't the first NES game. No, in fact, Super Mario originally did not have a pack-in. Now, it didn't come out with the original wave. Yeah, mm. so neat. Yep. And people so, really like those black box games, so you're gonna they pay love them. like yeah. more than any other like common game. You're gonna pay a premium for a nice black box game. Yeah, Donkey Kong Junior Math, forget about it. And uh, that's one where condition is super king uh, on us on this system. Like condition matters all the time, but on black box games specifically, you can watch the price fluctuate dramatically. Like a sealed graded Super Mario Brothers. Forget it. It's it's dumbly priced. You would just like why? It's a it's, how many of these were made and still. What I maniac would keep a sealed Super Mario Brothers? It was the best thing you that, could possibly that, do I, with your time in 1985. Ty- I agree. Tyler will probably correct me, but I also feel like the black box set also like variant matters more than. I think a lot of other boxes, right? Like the hang tabs for no, I for black boxes are bonkers. Yeah, people all want oh, like the true. first prints, and they want yeah. The seal matters. Like your those we'll get into the revisions and all that stuff later. But the the seal matters. The hang tabs matter. The sticker that might seal it matters. Like there's a lot of things that matter specific to only the black box games or more on the black box games than other Nintendo games. It's probably the most scrutinized set of games on the most scrutinized console of anything in game collecting. I would agree with that. Which also, I think, means, too, that that those variations also command the largest premium, right? Like, not not only do people care more about those variants, but you're going to pay magnitudes more for specific variants than you would you know, in the black box set than you would elsewhere. Yeah, and well, there's also more competition for them because people care about the black box games specifically. And just to be 100% clear, uh, the launch set of black box games that wasn't the entire lineup of black box games so the black box they're called black box because they all come in this really cool black box that's kind of cut out that shows a little bit of art but yeah they they keep releasing games in that style for months however many months after the nes launched so like donkey no one bought donkey kong jr math with their nes no kid was was put through that so what can we talk about this for a second because we call them the black box games but really shouldn't they be called the the genre series of games because it extended past the black box this style and form like metroid is an action series games kid icarus mike tyson's punch out like there's games that have like that kind of moniker the x type series you know the action series the the educational series they're branded specifically but we only like specifically take note of the black box ones but there was others that were made like that they just didn't get black boxes and they all could have had black boxes like Kid Icarus could have had a black box. It didn't need to have a silver box. Yeah. They, don't, they don't look as cool lined up, Johnny. Come on. I I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that 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 is a thing that people kind of gloss over. That it was the the sports series that was that's like one of the most important parts about them is they were part of that general branding when Nintendo was doing its templates. The other thing I always thought was visually striking about them is that they use, and I'm pretty sure they all do this, but somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but that they all used actual screenshots for their for their box art. 
instead of like painted Not like screenshots, but like representations of the yeah, sprite yeah, 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 yeah. Like it showed you, it showed you Atari what the game actually looked nonsense. like, which wasn't really a thing that like, especially going back to talking about the difference between Atari and and Nintendo. Like Atari, since they didn't have that visual f- fidelity in the game, they had to rely on these big, you know, suspension of disbelief, p- you know, art pieces that they put on their boxes. But uh, all the black boxes showed you a a a solid representation of what the game was going to actually look like. And, like, I don't know why people fight on this one, but some people want to tell me Mike Tyson's Punch-Out is a black box game. It's not. Um, and it shows a picture of Mike Tyson on it. Like, that's not It's not the same. But it is part of that series templating, so I, I can understand the confusion. And it has a black top, but it's not, it's not the same. Anyways, uh, so that's that. But what about, what about the other part of this, Tyler? Uh, the last game. So there's a few different ways to look at it. Wikipedia says that the last game was The Lion King, uh, released in 1995. That was a PAL exclusive. Uh, Wario's Woods was the last game released in America, at least licensed. And then a lot of people also say Cheetah Men 2, because it, it was never released, but it was made in 1995. Or was, was it found in 1995? No, it was probably made in 1995. But yeah, people say Cheetah Men 2. I forgot when they found that in a warehouse, but th- that comes up too. And that's wrong no matter when it was not released. And uh, Wario's Woods... So Lion King is terrible, by the way. I don't know why I decided I needed to say that. Uh, Wario's Woods is super easy to find sealed. So there must have been... It was 1994, so... Well, it's uh, because it was in the Super Nintendo. Didn't it come out after the Super Nintendo one had already come out? <laughs> yeah, it was like... It was way into uh, any... Uh, it was three years into the Super Nintendo. I remember when it was in Nintendo Power. It, it was like the last thing holding on under Packwatch or something. I remember I looked that up one day and it was so funny seeing a Nintendo game. It's basically the, it's the just dance of the NES. I do kind of wonder why it's so common though. Cause gen- generally when, during that time when something came out on both the NES and the SNES, the NES one is the like remarkably more expensive version. I'm thinking of, you know, tournament fighters for instance. Um, but that, that rule doesn't seem to hold here. Well, it's because it was at the end, and like people didn't buy it, so it, you could just find it for a long time. It was in Toys R like you could find that and um, uh, what's a thirty two X and end caps in the clearance section of Toys R Us in like nineteen ninety seven and nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, honestly, so. I think I think it's like one of those games that's easier to find sealed than it is to just like find a loose card out in the wild. I'm not going to hold to that because I don't know. Well, and that can't be true much. anymore, but well, at one point. I mean, it's one of those games where the sealed, uh, at one point, sealed didn't matter for that game. Just because you found it like uh, like F-Zero player's choice. You can still kind of find sealed and it doesn't add anything to the value. Yeah. So, and uh, that's just because they weren't sold or late released and they just didn't hit shelves enough. So... When you open pallets and pallets of them, people aren't like clamoring to play more F Zero. There's plenty of F Zeros, so if they were gonna, why why bother opening? Them? They just bought them as collector's pieces. Oh, there's like there's a dude on eBay with like a bunch of sealed cases of F Zero. Yeah, F Zero is. Uh, go look at F Zero, guys. If you need a sealed F Zero, you can have one yeah. today for not that much money. Johnny, there's one more last game, and it's according oh. to Wikipedia. It's the it. Data East All Stars Collection, released in 2017. Holy shit! Which, Old according to them, again. is the most notable 
last release, even though there's obviously been more games released since then. It's such a ridiculous thing to pick. Yeah. Well, that's not correct, and that's doesn't... We can go into a host of reasons why that's wrong, but we're not. Uh, wrong answer, Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody is fucking wrong today, including you, Wikipedia. No surprise there. All right. Let's, Stefan, let's talk about the most expensive games, and then, Tyler, you can tell me about some other expensive games. Let's, let's talk about them. Uh, aside from stadium events, which is like $22,000 in a box and like $10,000 loose, what are the most expensive games for this system? Do we want to talk about just the licensed stuff, or do you guys want to go unlicensed as well? I mean, I mean we've got to go unlicensed. Okay. So how about? So let's talk about licensed. First. I was going to say Stephen, I can speak to the licensed, license. and Tyler can speak to the unlicensed because that is yes. not not my shtick. Yep. So some of the some of the the big ones that are that are the licensed rares are uh, Little Samson, Panic Restaurant, Flintstones Two, Power Blade Two. Are all of those Taito games? Is Power Blade a title game? A lot of them are, and I think a lot of that speaks to also when they were published. Um, you know, because Taito, you, you know, it's the same thing for Genesis too, right? Taito sort of swooped in at the end. I know the standout there for for me is uh, Little Samson. I struggle with because it is an expensive game, although less expensive than it used to be. It was running for about twelve hundred dollars loose. Now it's like eight or back down to eight or nine hundred, but. Uh, the the thing that hurts me there is that you know a lot of these expensive expensive games stadium events specifically it's not a good game it's just expensive so it's like it's okay that I don't own it because it's shitty but Little Samson's a great game um, and so um, and and Panic Restaurant too is also a really good game in fact I think that's Cat's favorite game right but uh, it is but yeah so um, yeah Little Samson specifically I, I wrestled with for a long time because I didn't want to pay that premium and and I did because it's such a good game. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Little Samson, obviously, it's it's a hype machine, and it's even come down a little lately, which is awesome. But I do think it's genuinely one of the best games on the NES, and so many people hype up all of these, like, pretty good rare games as being, like, this awesome thing that's totally worth hundreds of dollars. I mean, it's not worth hundreds of dollars, but Little Samson's definitely an excellent game. You know, Flintstones 2 is actually a pretty good game, too. It's actually a fun game. It's not as good as Little Samson or anything, but you'd think it would be worse, especially because it's Flintstones. It's not a terrible game. I never played that one. Don't it's, like Panic. Don't like Panic Restaurant that much. I'm sorry, guys. That's okay. But yeah, those all those games are not like horrible games. So that it's nice that you know it's not a soccer game that's the most expensive game on the system because it's like a weird ass soccer game. Right, or a game that came with an exercise bike. Right, exactly. <laughs> Looking at you, stadium events. I know. All these stupid exercise games. Proof that gamers just don't want to exercise. Yeah. So that's why they're all so rare. Three three Can't, consoles in their rarest games are. Yeah. Our exercise bike games. It's ridiculous. Yep. Excellent. I wonder. Do you think that Wii game with the exercise bike is that super rare? Is that Wii bike? Uh, Cyberbike. Uh, yeah. It's up there, right? It, yeah, it's kind of rare, but I, it's not as rare as people think. Oh. Um, but that's gonna. Sh- uh, I don't even want to say that because it's gonna shake out. Wii is still Wii too. Fit? Is Wii Fit really about. rare? Nope, not at all. <laughs> so let's talk about the. The unlicensed games, Tyler. Tell me some. I just want to be real specific about stadium events. Um, So one actually just went up for sale. Hi guys, it's November 2018, a couple weeks ago, and it was sitting for a few days. I'm going to say four or five days at ten thousand dollars, and it was just marked as pending. So I think around ten thousand dollars is a pretty good estimate for where stadium events is at. And I like saying stuff like that because we go through these freaking forum threads of stadium events and people say they're sold and then they delete the price and that stuff drives me nuts because it makes it so hard to price these super high-end games 
And I think $10,000, good place for you right now. Especially, like, I'll just sidebar real quick on stadium events. A lot of the high-end games for any system that you collect for, they're closed and backdoor deals are, not not backdoor, that's the wrong phrase, backroom deals, friends or private collectors. It's a, you know, a handshake deal outside of eBay for high dollar games. You know, if a collector or a friend of a friend, someone told them, you know, this is how it happens. So you won't see a lot of these go to eBay or sometimes when they go to eBay, it's only to advertise to make that deal happen. That won't be some place that you can chart the price. So more deals happen than are strictly dictated by what you see on eBay is my point. Yep. All right. So the, the priciest, uh, unlicensed games, or I guess, I mean, special shout out to Nintendo world championships, which who freaking knows how many of those that sell, how many of those sales are real. I've heard, I think Dream TR said that he saw an NWC go, a gold go for $100,000. So I don't even know what's going on with those people. They're they're going off into crazy comic book land over there. Well, and and step, stepping back a minute for what Johnny said, the, the, the backroom deals, I think if any any particular cart like has has the title of like king of backroom deals like that those the gray and the gold nintendo uh, world championships are definitely get traded um off of off of the online forums you know way 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 more than you see them ever sell yep and uh it doesn't really matter because stadium events is cooler than either of them anyway uh that's still not true <laughs> it's a freaking contest who cares <laughs> it's they're... They made a movie Ooh. about it. They made a bad movie about it. <laughs> yeah, stadium events is so cool, guys. Oh, so cool. It's got the seal Tyler, you are a lot of fun at parties. Move on. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm like looking at the price. I don't even believe them. So Cheetahman 2, it's like $1,500, $2,000. It never sells. Um, I think two have been on sale this year. Uh, that seems like a, the right price for it. Game value now puts Myriad 6 and 1 at $1,200. Uh, which is crazy for me because that is a period appropriate NES release. And that is a super rare game. I understand it's a variant of Caltron six and one. Cause the only difference is that has a sticker over it. Uh, but I considering the rarity, the genuine rarity of that game, that just seems too low in comparison to something like stadium events. And then the Tyler, three sorry. after that, sorry, oh, which, want to talk which about of the, of those two, which of the, are the ones that they like found like a, a stash of them a couple years ago. And it like uh, tanked the market. Cheetahman Two was found in a warehouse. I don't. Yeah, Myriad Two was sold for real. I don't know. I think people have sealed ones, so I bet like there's a there was a stash of unsold Myriads found as well. I don't know. I don't want to make a definitive statement because then bad information gets out there. All right. And then the three what after else? that are the Panesian games, which are Bubble Bath Babes, Hot Slots, and Peekaboo Poker, which hover in the thousand dollar range to two thousand dollars complete. And, and those they, are uh, sweet porn games. They've been at this price forever, too. They, uh, they've been around like $1,000 forever. I can't believe, like, I can't believe that the un, the unlicensed game market hasn't taken off like the licensed game market. Like, it hasn't, it's like blipped up, but it never like went nuts. Well, can you tell, like, tell our listeners just a little bit about that? What is, like, why are unlicensed games, even if they are so much rarer than licensed games uh, for the most part they are the print runs are way less and it's obscure and harder to find why are they why aren't they more expensive what, what's the what's the difference here uh, well 
I think a, a, the biggest reason would be because there's no set of unlicensed games. So you could say that there's 97 unlicensed games all day, and that is 100% not true. When we get into the second episode, there were there are a ton more NES games that were released even during like the 80s and 90s uh, that people just never talk about and don't count for whatever reason. So, you know, a Myriad 6 and 1 isn't really the capstone to your unlicensed set. It's just a standalone really cool collectible. So I guess that makes it not as cool to have as stadium events, which is the coolest NES game to own. I think also there's 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 not that nostalgia connection to it, it, at the same scale uh, that there is with the the licensed games on the whole as there is with the unlicensed games. Maybe the exception of that rule would be Tengen because you did see those in stores. Like I think Johnny, you and I even talked about that before. Where Johnny you, says that all the time. Yeah, you have that 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 nostalgic connection with with Tengen games, but like, like, are there a ton of people that have a, a huge nostalgic connection to to Chiller or to Bible Game Adventures or you know? So I think nostalgia drives this market unquestionably, and you just don't have that with the unlicensed titles. No, because you didn't walk through a store as a kid and see them, and that's that's the big driver, right? When you think back. Like, your mom didn't buy you probably these super weird, obscure... She didn't buy you hot slots, right? It doesn't matter that hot <laughs> you slots You didn't have Raid 2020 as a kid? <laughs> you, like, that had to be ordered, like, from a site that you mailed a check to. That was the thing you used to do. Put a check in, a, in an envelope and send it to a place uh, with an order form that you hand-filled out. You know, that that's how you obtained a lot of these games, or they would be in, like the back of catalogs i saw like lists and the back of comic books where you could order games from these sites and you'd see some of these but you didn't walk through toys r us and you're like hey cheat them in too like that just didn't happen <laughs> so uh yeah that's that's the point on nostalgia and like even though chiller was an arcade game like gyromite everybody or not gyromite um uh gauntlet everyone knows gauntlet right everyone knows pac-man and these are Tengen games. You're like, oh, they've got a Wiley Coyote game. You're like, I know who Wiley Coyote is. Do you know who I don't know is? Uh, I don't know what Death Race is. Isn't Death, Death Race, Race both a movie and an arcade game? Well, it is, but I didn't see those. Like, yet yeah, now, but as a kid, you know, that wasn't a thing. I'm like, uh, maybe, maybe that is. I don't know what this is. Not like it's not in the same world as Wiley Coyote. Yeah. Right. So it's definitely not in the same universe as Pac-Man. That's that's what I unlicensed I'm going games for are there. still cool. It's one of the reasons the NES is so cool because like if you go further back than the NES, it's too Wild West. There's almost no distinction between like what you would consider a first party game and what's just like I don't know, some guy made this in garage and he made three copies of it. And then on NES, there's this clear Nintendo Mark seal of quality and unlicensed games. And then you go to the SNES and it's like, all right, we got we got one, two unlicensed games. So. That's why I think the NES is the perfect period for this unlicensed collecting. It is the perfect period if you want to dabble outside of that and have like these this strange set of of games that you can go deep on because there are plenty. And there it's like after you finish your license set, if you want to keep collecting, there's this whole other world that is interesting and varied that you can get into where all the information is still not perfect. So that makes licensed unlicensed collecting interesting. Uh, for deep collectors. But we'll talk more about those weird ones later. Uh, I think we already covered the next topic, uh, actually rare games. Uh, so I, I don't think we need to cover that. I think uh, I think I ranted about what games are actually rare, unless you have something no. to add, Tyler. 
I just want to give a shout out to games like Kid Clown and Cowboy Kid, Swordmaster, Pro Sport Hockey. Little Samson and Flintstones 2 are not the rarest NES games, uh, especially Flintstones 2, which I think used to be super rare. But then someone at some point figured out that the copies that came out in South America are 100% identical to the copies that came out in uh, the United States. And for whatever reason, like import tariff reasons, like consoles lasted way longer in South America than they did in the United States. So a lot of people bought, or not a lot of people, but more people bought Flintstones 2 in South America. So those copies have been filtering their way up to the States. And that is both depressed to the price and made it seem less rare than it really is. So it's probably really hard to find a genuine copy of Flintstones 2 that was actually sold in America, but you can't tell them apart from the South American copies. So it's it's basically a moot point. Yep, doesn't really matter. Um, you mentioned a couple of those games. Also, like, Indiana Jones Ubisoft is like a weird one because there's there's two Indiana Jones uh, Last Crusades. Yeah, uh, same, there's the same title. name, same box art, yeah. different game, right? Uh, different different box art, but yeah, different games, different publishers. What fight me? Yeah, they've got different box arts. They're entirely different games. Yeah, that's why I just said. Like the actual thing you play with your controller is different, though. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying they're the same game. No, I said they're different games. All right. Love you, Johnny. Don't get mad. No problem. (laughs) Already been mad. You saw it. Uh, So let's let's move on past the rarity stuff. And let's talk about some key franchises and in-demand games, which I think most people know. But, Stefan, tell us us a few of the key franchises, if you would. Um, I, well, my, like I said before the, the show started, my tongue in cheek answer for this is everything you loved as a kid. And that's because the largest franchises got, you know, they, they sold well. And so they, they're, they're everywhere. So like your Mario's and your Metroid's basically the, uh, Smash uh, Brothers, the, no, not the Smash Brothers. No, I just that. see the roster. <laughs> Oh the, yeah, if, if it's if it's if it's in if Smash Brothers is is if it's in the, the Smash Brothers roster, then it's then it's popular. Earthbound um, that, was a that, key part of true. the SNES library. Yep. Okay. yep. That's why and, and the rarest. Yep. Anyways, <laughs> uh, go on. But yeah, but essentially, all the first party franchises are going to be uh, uh, some of your key ones. So again, the 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 Mario's and the Metroids and um, a lot of the I mean, the Kirby, Donkey Kongs Zelda. and the Kirby's and yeah, every basically anything that they're still making today uh, is probably going to be a key franchise on the NES. Like I was saying earlier. Yep, I, I think the only thing that was a key franchise then that isn't still being made today as a game. Uh, last one was on the Wii, and I don't know if we'll see another one. Was Punch Out? Yeah, I doubt that's the only one. But you know, there's so many I mean, games that I, can't I mean, think of. like Kid Icarus. We haven't seen a proper like revival of and that was a key franchise on nintendo but it didn't see like it just didn't translate onto the super nintendo uh you know the the three temples are your zelda your mario and um you know metroid mario zelda those are your three biggies i think then you have like your kirby's and your donkey kong's that come after um that like kind of second tier but i think if we're talking about three temples and any games on that we don't need to tell you each and every game you you play them if they're on the nest classic there you go the end we did it. Yay. And that's like just going into the first part. Were you even going into the third party stuff there? No, not at all. Okay. I don't know if you wanted. Go I mean, ahead. You got some key third parties you want to well, shed the, light on? 
the the Disney games from Capcom, that's something that people think of all the time because they're all super high quality. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and so that's and the DuckTales, Chippendale, uh, Mega Darkwing Man, Duck. Mega Man, Castlevania. And I would almost say that those are that like rather than saying that the brand is the franchise there, I almost consider those as like the Disney umbrella on that console, especially like the Capcom side scrollers as as the franchise. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's like, what I'm saying. So, so like, yeah, like see, DuckTales and uh, Chippendale and all those games. Yeah, I don't I don't count the side scrollers as a thing. I, I go by individual titles there, but I get your point. Um, there's a lot of great games and they are the establishment of. Many Nintendo game going forward, but even you know PlayStation picked up rights to these. They, these are like, like oh man, these came from old video games. If it probably came from the NES and it's on all these other systems, it was probably a key franchise. See Metal Gear, yeah, Metal see Gear, Mega, see Mega Man, uh, and many others. Yep. So, are there any super cheap games that you should buy, Tyler? What, just anything? Nothing on NES is expensive. That's no. not true. <laughs> I mean, whatever. What? Buy Ninja Gaiden. Buy Super Mario Brothers three Ninja Gaiden and Contra and an NES. Everyone listening to this show has these games. There's nothing I could tell yeah. you that you don't know. Right. If we're gonna, there's no hidden gems. <laughs> there's... That's that's really the point. There, oh there are God. no hidden. There are no hidden gems. We can't really recommend you games. I mean, we can and we have, but they're they're everything you've already heard. There's not a lot that's going to surprise you. There's no surprises here. If you don't play Mario 3, go try Mario 3. Go try Ninja Gaiden. If you haven't played a Mega Man game, I, I suggest Mega Man 2. You'll like it. Go play it. Final Fantasy, if, if you're into RPGs, they're all here. We it, Go play a NES Classic. If you want to recommend a game, <laughs> pick up the NES Classic. Play through those, except for like uh, the weird like Zaxxon or whatever that was on there. And uh, who cares? Yeah. Nope. But uh, the other beautiful thing is that the NES commons, I think, are one of the big reasons that the NES has been dropping in price. And this is back from our our Sega CD and NES like price check in episode where we tracked the prices over 18 months and common prices going down are a big reason that NES is cheaper now than it was a year ago. So if you want to get all those Mario and Zelda games, now's the time to do it. Yep. Yep. I I, mean, I I think we only have. uh, Sorry, Stefan, I'll let you go in a second. But I think. Video games do have more to grow on. As Mario is growing as a franchise and Nintendo is growing as a franchise, as a as an entity, a corporate entity in the world, as we start to get more movies, we got a Pikachu, a Detective Pikachu movie coming out. Jesus Christ. You're going to have a Mario land in Universal. There's going to be a Mario animated series. Like, this stuff is... There, there will be an influx of demand that's going to come. There will be a second wave... So if you want to get this stuff, now's a good time. Johnny, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we need to put that on a podcast episode on what we think the future is, because there's probably a big contingent of people that thinks like, okay, we hit the peak forever, and now things are downhill from here. And no. I want to talk about that a lot. Okay, yeah. I, Steve and I touched briefly on it in the last episode, but yeah, I would love to explore it more. We should definitely No, we got to bring Eric on for that, too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Let's do <laughs> I love it. Eric. Yeah. yeah. What I was going to summarize before is essentially for for the inexpensive good games, it's you know if a game and this goes for basically any system, but if a game was good, then generally it was popular, and if it was popular, they made a bunch of them, so those tend to be cheap. So uh, again, as 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 
tongue-in-cheek as my everything you loved as a kid answer was earlier, it really does hold true that uh, generally if it's something that you were super, super passionate about, there's a couple outliers. Um, you know, little I, Samson, I would, for Ninja Gaiden I 3 would, is like 60 bucks or something, 50 bucks. I would correct you, Stefan, only because I would say everything your dad loved as a kid yeah. is, Me. is the true answer now. That's fair. Uh, because the, the that... People are younger than you remember now. It's getting weird. You are older. <laughs> How than old you is think. our audience, Johnny? Uh, I, they're oh God, probably Johnny demographics. I do have <laughs> our, our largely our audience is twenty four to, to that twenty five to thirty four demographic. Oh, what's that? Weird. That's it's like age. the people hey, who grew up and have some money and have some nostalgia are our audience. Weird. Um, but that, that doesn't matter here. Prime target for advertisers as well. So, guys, make sure to check out Amazon Prime. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to mention any of our other sponsors on this episode? What? All right. The quick check-in on I Am 8-Bit's Mega yeah. Man stock. Yeah. Uh, Mega Man 2. If you really want to play Mega Man 2, there's a hot new version that you can still get at I Am 8-Bit. Only $100 and out of the 8500 they made, there is a slight chance you can get the special edition glow-in-the-dark cart. Now, you only have probably weeks or months left to buy it, so make sure you order now. That's at IAm8bit.com. Mega Man 2 Special Edition, ladies and gentlemen. Great. They did do a really cool Grim Dingo. Uh, so let's talk about collector stuff now. Uh, and Tyler, I know you're going to want to get in the weeds, but we're running so long and we, we can bring some of no, this. No, people love it. Uh, it's their favorite consoles. Be their I, favorite episode. I, I it's, they're not, they're going to hate this episode that we, we've ruined a beautiful thing, but let's talk about some of the collector stuff. So let's talk about variants, cool corner stuff, uh, stuff, cool, cool corner case stuff. Whew. Words. All right, so when we very first made the template for a So You Want to Collect episode, under variants, we put things like screw variants. And so screw variants are where they came from the NES. Uh, So originally, the games were made with five Phillips head screws on the back that held the front and the back of the cartridge together. Were they Phillips heads? At least the early ones were, yeah. Were they they slotted? Whatever. Who cares? Yeah, star... (laughs) They weren't, I mean, now we got the, the stupid star, but that was only in the, the three screw ones. Okay. Do you want to fight about this? Maybe it's, there's probably no. a lot of edge cases. Cause I, I don't, don't want to fight about this. Go ahead. So they changed it to a three screw design cause two less screws probably saves them money. And then they changed the style of screw. So you need that special kind of screwdriver to open it. Uh, and I don't know if those were exactly the same time, but basically during this switchover, there were a lot of weird cases where games that largely were printed on five screw carts had three screw variants and games that were largely in three screw carts had five screw variants. Uh, and so just to point out a few cool ones, Donkey Kong Jr. Math and Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. Those were all black box games. So pretty much all the black box games, you can expect them to have five screws because they're all really early games. So those in three screw are pretty cool. And then Stinger, for some reason, has a three-screw variant that's, like, super hot shit. And that's usually a five-screw game. And then the five-screw games that are hot shit are Gotcha, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Alpha Mission, that's, you know, it's like $50 to $100, I think, something like Jaws? that. Jaws? Yeah, Jaws is one. There's, there's, a get... lot, there's a lot of these. You could look up a, a list on Nintendo Age. There's a thread called, like, Cool Variants on NES or something like that. If you just type in screw variant, too, you'll get a lot of results. You can learn a lot about this. So the the one thing I want to point out with the five screws is, uh, well, there's two things. The Konami games, 
like throughout history, it seems like every Konami game has had a fa- a screw variant, a five screw variant found, and there's like one or two of them. The I, I could go through the list of Konami games, but there's so many. But Castlevania Three is what stood out to me. There's one documented case of a five screw Castlevania Three on Nintendo Age, which just like my mind exploded when I saw that. So I don't know what I that's don't... about. Yeah, I don't even understand how that happens at a manufacturing level. Like, <laughs> one escaped? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> like, well, I just uh, who get... knows what happened? Like, who knows if they just had one person, like, off the line going, hey, make sure you use these extras. Like, who knows what happened back then? Yeah. And that's, like, we don't have, the QE checks, like, we don't have, like, their factory reports, what it was like. I would love to have had, like, a video of what those lines looked like and how they were actually produced but sadly we don't have those anyways that's some of the variants there's also seal whoa, variants whoa 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 i'm so whoa so, i'm sorry you were still going just if you, if you decide you want to start collecting variants screw variants because you're an absolute crazy person uh the best thing to do is you find you go to like a retro show or something like that or a store where they have all the cartridges lined up and from the end of the cartridge you can tell whether it's three screw or five screw, because the three screw ones have the little tabs that clip in. So you could really easily scan through every single game and you look for games and you just think you don't have to memorize a list of games or anything. You could just be like, oh, that's a pretty late game. That shouldn't be a five screw or that's a kind of early game. That shouldn't be a three screw. That's a black box game. So when you see stuff like that, that's when you know to pick it up, basically. That's a good tip. Good tip, Tyler. Johnny thought I was just going to come back with some stupid bullshit thing I wanted to say and I actually had a tip. Yep, that's a very Uh, good one. Are the premiums for these all over the map too? Like, or is it like I? I'm so not up to date on the screw collecting market, but people have been collecting screw variants for like at least 20 years because yeah, so, NES people are nuts. So it's a crazy world there. So if if screw collecting is crazy to you, like who cares how many screws are on the back? Imagine how much crazier the world actually is because that started 20 years ago. So <laughs> you know, I think they're. It's, it's Go not ahead. likely that you'll find one on eBay and it will slip through the cracks. Like the, I remember there was like a gotcha auction, a five screw gotcha that went for like $300 or something. And it might not have even been listed as five screw. Like people just, they find these and they know about them because they're crazy. Yep. That's the world we live in there. Anyways, there's also seal variants, which is probably the next variant people care the most about. So you've got a bunch of different seals and like revision variants as well. So, like, you'll see Rev 1, Rev 1A, no rev- no revision on there, and seal. So, you've got an oval seal, and there's the seal, seal quality. What's a seal, Johnny? Like, uh, like the an animal? Nintendo's, the Nintendo seal of quality, which is on the front of every licensed NES game. The other thing that you should know is, uh, well, let's go. How many types of seals were there? There was three, right? The... Like the copper seal or gold seal, and then the silver seal, and then the later oval seal. And there's variants of these, but these are the major types. Nowadays, an oval seal means it's in the U.S. Back then, we had circle seals. It was it was all over the map. So Nintendo NES is the only one where you can't just be like, oh, I know this seal means it's, it's a U.S. title versus a, a European title. So... Don't rely on that here if you rely on that for, like, Super Nintendo or Game Boy, where that's very useful. Anyways, people care about this. Like, on the original Zelda, what people want, and the the hardest one to find, is the gold seal without a revision on it. Because most of them are a Reve copy. So, it will say, under the seal, you'll see the seal, and then you'll see Reve. 
but there's also the seal, silver seal on those. And there's also the oval seal on those. And the oval seal is the worst one to get. People are like, blech. Looks so ugly. So People hate ugly. it. It's white. It's like Ugh. the other ones are see-through. They blend right in. They look so yeah. prestigious. It, this is not the case there. Blech. So anyways, that, I'm part of that weird collector contingent that wants silver seals or at least on all of my stuff. Is your Zelda the Rev 1 It's stupid Rev A. Rev it's a, rev, what a, I don't even I don't rev, care at I, all no, about I want, revisions. Yeah, 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 but that's what I mean. That people they do like if you want, you can go in the weeds. You can be as crazy as you want, but these are another major variant that people care about. If you are a new collector, I don't suggest you care. I would just say, if you can find a game without an oval seal on it, do that. But most of the later edition stuff only had oval seals. Unless so. you're like an NES guy, in which case you're not. I mean, you might be listening to this podcast, but you're not getting that much out of this podcast. Like, there's no reason to go that deep at all. And if you're already going no. that deep, then you already know you're going that deep. Yeah, then why? Are, yeah. this was not the episode for you. Unless you wanted to just hear what you know this show is capable of. And that's, you know, ranting and uh, fights and, uh, you know, straying off topic like now. I've also got so, to bring up that they're... Uh, there was this nice picture out actually from Reddit where there's no good content from Reddit. But this is one of the best things I've ever seen on Reddit. It's a guy who collects Super Mario Brothers variants and he's got like 40, 50 of them lined up. And there's two of them that have two seals of quality on them. I don't know if they're common or rare, but they're two different languages, I think. And I just think it's so stupid looking that it's awesome. Hmm. Yep. Uh, oh, and on that line, I guess we can talk about um, the Mattel logo, which is kind of like a seal variant. In Canada, every like the Nintendo was partnered with Mattel, so everything got the Mattel logo on that. And sometimes you got two seals of quality on it, one for both languages. So that's a thing. Tyler likes it a lot. Oh, I do. So dumb. Anyways, Stefan, let me ask you the next question. Were there special editions? Because this is a thing for other systems, but Nintendo, is this where it started? Special edition games? Um... Am, am I, unless I'm not thinking of one and you guys are about to yell at me, I don't believe only so. We, we took notes before the show yeah. that you could reference right now. Yeah. Well, no. The answer is no. Yeah. There are no special editions. Let me See, save everybody. Tyler baited me into that because I said no. And then he's like, well, maybe there is. You should check the notes. <laughs> that was a dick move, Tyler. No, he just thought you were taking too long to answer the question that you should have known the answer to. And I'm like, nope, Johnny, there's no special editions on this console. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's what well, Tyler wanted. I was just expecting halfway through my sentence to get yelled at for the wrong answer, so that's why it was taking well, extra time. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. I think there's some neat games to point out that almost fit into this category, like Gyromite Big Box, which is super cool. Well, or like classic editions, like the you know, essentially what are label variants, like the the, the Metroid variant, which like those I really are, like. Those are just variants. Those don't come with anything. Those are extra. those would be precursors to the player's choice games. Right. So that was a game based uh, greatest hits like that. Uh, you can tell us about those, Stefan. What are a couple of them that actually got the classic series logo on them? Because there's not a lot. Yeah, Metroid and Zelda are the ones that come immediately to mind. Zelda um, Two as well. Yeah, and which are also notable because they came in gray cart and not gold cart. Right. Yeah. And, and Punch Out. Yeah, and Punch not Out, my, and not Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Punch Out. Different which games. I think did. 
I can't remember if we talked about this off offline or online when we we were offline. deciding whether or not uh, Punch Out and Mike Tyson's Punch Out were th- were different releases or not. I think they're different releases, but I don't remember how they're counted on the list. I think they're counted as two separate games. I mean, there's definitely different sprites. Spoiler alert! Yeah, there's the no. That game. I don't think anyone considers them the same game unless you're a maniac. But yeah. if you're a maniac, feel free to let me know, and I, I will I'll tell you how fine. wrong you are because you probably play in a top loader. Yeah, but there's probably a bunch of uh, a bunch of collectors who just don't know that the two exi- like that there's two two different games. Right. So the point of all that is that there's a classic edition of the Punch Out, and then there's one weird one, which is I don't know how Blades of Steel got on here, but Blades of Steel has a classic series. So yeah, Blades of Steel. Those are your classic series games on the NES. Uh, there's another like weird variant, not a special edition, but we're talking about weird variants, and I'll just give you a quick, uh, just a quick glimpse, and you can go wow yourself when you look at Wayne Gretzky's hockey, and there's three different covers for that game. Yeah, he's just wearing a different color jersey, right? Yep. Yeah. But it's three different. I mean, it's three different labels, three different car, uh, boxes. It's weird that it happened, but it's a thing. So I, uh, those are that's like purposely a different edition to me. So. Uh, that's why I bring it up here. But as far as special editions as we know them now, nope, none of those. Thank God. It was so much easier back then. We only had to worry about how many screws were on the back. We had some games that came with stuff, like Where in Time is Carmen San Diego came with an that's encyclopedia true. in a big box. Yeah, Monster that in was My like, Pocket. That was pretty cool for the time. Monster in My Pocket blew my mind. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember when Johnny's mind was blown. If you read the box and that, it tells <laughs> only, you what's inside. <laughs> yeah, if only I had read the front of the box. There there are games like that. I'm um, uh, Stefan mentioned Stack Up before. That's not that's the only way you get Stack Up, but it does. It is a unique yeah. box that came with a bunch of extra stuff. So bunch there's stuff games. like that, but there's no true special There's editions. not a lot of stuff like that. So if, if you look at the list of complete in box, everything that came inside an NES box... Very, very little of it came with anything besides documentation. So these are there's actually what, kind of pretty special games. There's what, like three or four that come with 3D glasses? Rad Racer comes with 3D yeah, glasses. Yeah, Rad Racer 3D runner. glasses, the Star Tropics letter, if you want to count that. Mike Tyson's letter. Yep. 3D World Runner has 3D glasses, obviously. It's in the name there. <laughs> that's not obvious. So. Wolfenstein 3D didn't come with 3D glasses. No, that's fair. So, yeah, there, there's there's some of this stuff, and you can you can find more of that if you want to go deep. Um, but let's let's go through this aftermarket homebrew. What's going on with that? I think we're saving that, that for the is next. All episode. in the next episode. All in the next yep. episode. Okay, accessories, magazines, and other crap. Holy shit! The most iconic magazine of all video gaming came out. The reason that we have a thing that says magazines and other crap. It's Nintendo, Nintendo Power. Nintendo Fun Club News. Nintendo EGM. Fun Club News. Sorry. <laughs> Nintendo Fun Club <laughs> Newsletter is the first one. Right, because there's the Nintendo Fun Club newsletter, yep. which I think had two volumes. Yep. Then is the Nintendo Fun Club, and then it's Nintendo Power. Yeah, right. Is that correct? Did I get them all? Yeah. Uh, fun fact: Volume two of that newsletter has uh, Will Wheaton as a kid, uh, competing in an event. In it. That is a fun fact. It is a fun fact. Go look at it. Yeah. It's a cool picture. So <laughs> he's he's posing yeah. with a horrifying mascot Mario. So ugh. Uh, I know the mascot. I remember that video. It is horrifying. (laughs) So anyways, yeah. Is there magazines? Yeah, there's a bunch of Nintendo Powers. Is it 255 of them? Something like that. Or 78? I'll also say, 
if you want to talk about weird pack-ins and variants and like shit you can go in the weeds on, Nintendo Power is the place for you. Oh yeah, we can we can and should do a whole episode on how to collect. So you want to collect for Nintendo Power no, because sure. there's a legit 100%. episode there. There's so much stuff. There's a great resource on Nintendo Age if you look up Nintendo Power List that will tell you a lot of it. But even that's not complete. So right. there, there's like people get down to what kind of uh, renewal cover you got because if your subscription was about to expire nintendo did this thing where they'd throw like a little cardboard wrapper on the front of yours that was actually stapled in so it became your new cover it's like your subscription is ending and one had a really horrifying clown on it (laughs) i have a couple of those (laughs) yeah (laughs) and there's a bunch of different ones and it depended on what time frame it was going on so yeah people you can go deep on Nintendo Power yeah, if you want. Deep. And there's also the retailer edition versus the subscription edition, which are, are a little different, two Johnny, different if you, covers. If you don't have them yeah. all in mint condition with the posters attached, addressed to the same address, your collection ain't shit. Yeah. Don't forget well, about the trading cards, too. Those are yeah. The, well, that's a thing that people like, oh, oh, you got a bunch of uh, different different subscriptions? Oh, gross. Like, I don't. So hot what? take. Here's my hot take on Nintendo Power. Not and not remotely worth collecting, and it might actually ruin your nostalgia for the magazine. Because Nintendo Power is not as fun to read as it was when you were a kid and you had no info and you were starved for absolutely anything. I did not realize until I went back to Nintendo Power. Like maybe in the past couple of years, I started reading them. I'm like, this is all just like previews and walkthroughs for games I don't care about. Why would I read this cover to cover as a kid? I don't. I thought it would be like going back to a next generation or have EGM. I think is kind of cool, but like the reviews don't mean anything because there's literally nothing in Nintendo Power that ever got below three and a half stars. So those are worthless. I don't like Nintendo Power. Buy the first issue. It's not that rare. What does it cost? Fifty bucks. Get that. It's iconic. Then forget about it. It's heavy. It's big. You don't want to store that crap. That's hoarder stuff. Magazines are for hoarders. That. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> All right. I, cool. I love that in this room I'm sitting in, I have a RGB modded top loader and an extensive collection of Nintendo Power. I, I well, think Tyler just hates me. I think that's what we've just I, decided. I, I said, I, I you do you have a stadium of events, we... though, which is cooler than Johnny's entire collection. <laughs> no, so incorrect. Um, let's just move on. So, accessories. Tyler, tell me a few accessories. Real uh, quick, give me the big ones. Because there's uh, you can get into the weeds on it, but just give me the big ones that people will run across. The U-Force controller. So it was a controller <laughs> you fold it open like a sandwich maker. And, uh, That's you like my Warhawk answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, he did that on purpose. <laughs> I don't know. So, so you got the zapper, it's the gun. Everyone knows that. You got the four score. The most important accessory, I'm going to say, because it is both a controller extension cable. It gives you the ability to play four players, and it adds turbo, and it probably costs like $5. So everyone should own a four score. There's also a Nest Satellite, but I think you forgot Rob, Robot oh, Operating Rob Buddy. Robot uh, yeah, maybe the, most the only iconic. piece of acceptable shelf candy. Stefan was talking about how like a Vectrix looks cool on a shelf. Screw Vectrix. Rob, okay. He sucks and he looks cool on a shelf. I'll give you Rob. I think yeah. I think the power glove is also an important one. Power um, glove? Sure is. Because it's so bad. You so. also have things like the Miracle Piano. You have the Ness Advantage, which is like everyone had the Ness Advantage. You have the... Uh, the Max controller, which is awful. NES Advantage is awful too, but no one will admit it. No, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> I got it had. as a kid. And I was like, joysticks. Why? Why does anyone use this? Why? It was so big and heavy. You're like, what do I do with this thing? 
the Nintendo has a lot of accessories. And the interesting thing about Nintendo accessories is that if you can look at all the accessories that were ever on the Nintendo and see exactly every single one of those ideas regurgitated on the Wii. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every single one of them. It, Down it to the like, exercise bike. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> crazy how they were just like, let's guys, I got a crazy idea how to make GameCube worse <laughs> with this motion controller. <laughs> and, and here's how we're going to do it. And people are going to love it. I bought Wii Fit day one. What's up? Me too. All right. I'm still fat. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Fatter than when I started. And oh, the nice wait. thing is that, that the Wii will track that for me. If you, if you put it in now, it'll just yell at you. You haven't played me in 10 years. I think an important accessory to bring up is the uh, the Family Fun Fitness Pad, which is the precursor to the Power Pad. Uh, so that was, uh, that was put out by... I'm going to say Bandai because I don't remember. Bandai. Yeah, right. Bandai, you are. And there were two games for it, Athletic World and Stadium Events. You might have heard of the second one. So obviously there's the whole controversial story about recall, what happened there. Who knows? I don't know. That got turned into the power pad via some magic. There was a period where they either sold through those or they uh, they got recalled, something like that. So the Family Fun Fitness Pad is, is really hard to find, especially in box because, you know, it's this big DDR mat. And so Athletic World has a variant where right above the text where it says uh, Athletic World, it says Family Fun Fitness above that. So that was the original release of Athletic World, which is rarer and cooler. And you should know that. World Class Trackmate has a variant called Stadium Events. I don't know if you guys heard about that or not. I've never heard about that. Anyways, (laughs) moving on. Okay, uh, let's see who can answer this easy question for me. Guys, what are some uncommon games that aren't expensive? All right, so uh, none of them. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Mary had six in one. Like for its rarity, not where its price should be at. There's that's where I'm going. That's for the next episode. Okay, uh, another on that one. Hot take, Tyler. Can you tell me at least three hidden gems on the NES? All right, so we got uh, Jackal, uh, the Guardian Legend, uh, Isolated Warrior. Isolated Warrior is uh, a pretty hot Kabuki one. Kabuki Quantum go. Fighter. Hot take. Ka- uh, Kabuki Quantum Fighter. No one's heard of that one. Uh, Fire and Ice, the ultimate Ooh. hidden gem. You mean Solomon's Quest 2? Or Solomon's uh, Key 2? Sure. Solomon's Key 2. Is that actually what it was called in PAL territories? Uh, freaking I weird think so, yeah. I don't yep. know. Uh, so, hey, there's no hidden gems on the NES. Everyone knows all of them. And if you think you found one, you're either one wrong or two, the game is probably like a 6 out of 10 that you're trying really hard to make seem like is some really overlooked game when really it just wasn't that good. Or three, you have a YouTube channel and you are in desperate need of content. Oh, man. <laughs> Let's go look at what the latest NES hidden gems are on YouTube. I'll check back Ugh. in with you guys in two minutes. <laughs> Gross. Ugh, yeah, just if it says hidden gem and Nintendo, like referring to the NES on that, just walk away. Walk away from it. Uh, guys, we are moving towards the end of this show. Thankfully, last question for you guys, uh, and there's a lot here. What is the current outlook for this system? Uh, I'm sorry, no. Uh, what are some things we need to watch out for first? Before before we end collector stuff, what do we need to look out for when it comes to Nintendo? 
Can you tell me like repros and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, repros is the just generally looking out for repros on on basically anything in the like hundred dollar plus, like or maybe even now that repros are getting easier and easier to make, probably the fifty to sixty dollar plus range. Um, I I generally, as a rule of thumb for myself, open um, every cartridge over fifty dollars to make sure that the if you uh, that the the board is legitimate. When when looking at a PCB, one of the one of the big giveaways there um, is the uh, if a if a chip is a flashable ROM, it will generally have a, a window on it that you can actually see um, into the chip through, um, and it will uh, it may have like a piece of tape or something or a sticker over that trying to hide that. Um, but that's one of the biggest giveaways when looking at a, 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 an actual board from inside a cartridge uh, as to whether or not it's legitimate. Also, things like uh, that you will find capacitors occasionally, but what you won't generally find are like uh, baud wires, which are, you know, just like little soldered on wires that lead from one point to another that just kind of circumvent. Uh, some of the pathing on on the circuit board, so that's usually a, a dead giveaway. If you open something and it's got wires in it, it's that's not going to be legitimate either. Um, I think those are probably my, my two big tips on uh, on looking at, at boards when you're looking at at a uh, at a cartridge. Also, the next thing to look at, and actually the first thing to look at, look at the label quality. Nintendo, they all have sharp labels. Look at the label quality. Look at the label placement. If it's like weirdly crooked, Nintendo's quality control was usually better than that. Some rare cases exist where that's not true. But like I'm going to say lettering, that there are like slightly crooked labels uh, across Nintendo Spectrum, especially on Game Boy. But even on NES, like you'll see slightly crooked labels and some people will be like, look, it's not like 90 degrees. It must be a repro label. That doesn't mean it has to be a repro label. No, it doesn't have. But in general, like the corners will be clipped wrong. You can like... Bad labels, if you see a bad label, you'll you'll know it. Like, go look up repro label versus actual labels of a game, and you'll start to know what that quality difference will look like. I mean, the first There's time you get of... one in the mail... you'll So, repro labels are probably a bigger problem than even repro games, because I think... I, I've seen Chinese repro entire games where the labels are, like, oddly a little bit too small... Um, but then repro labels, people try to make them higher quality. So then you have to notice things like the glossiness of the label and, and things like that. You do. Well, and there's also vendors out there who still think that people want immaculate labels over labels that have some wear. So you'll find uh, legitimate cartridges that have uh, repro- reproduction labels on them. It's a travesty, but that's it's a thing. It is true. That does happen. Um, so that's, that's repros. Like basically we're in the world where, you know, if you counterfeit $10 bills, that's what's going on on the Nintendo. Mm -hmm. So just Uh, be aware of that. I did, I did just want to take a quick step back and just mention that in order to open a cartridge, if you're new to cartridge collecting, um, you'll need a specific security bit. They're very common and cheap on eBay if you essentially just search for Nintendo screwdriver or Nintendo security bit. It'll come up, and usually you can have a set for 10 to $15 or less. Um, no, but that's going to be... be one of these people who pays like $15 for an NES screwdriver because you think it's higher quality. Like your $15 screwdriver is still made in China. So just buy the Man. cheapest $1, $2 one. <laughs> it will be fine. Okay. Doesn't matter. You Doesn't should all matter. own one of these for yeah. every every system, but don't pay $15. 
the end. Let's not go off on that. Yep. So other things to look for, PAL. PAL labels are, <laughs> as as this has happened to me, even, even to this day, they will sometimes look exactly or very nearly like the original Ness, except you'll see that the seal is a circle instead of an oval, and there's a little B or a little A in the corner, but it's got the same label art, same on the box. And you'll think, oh, well, I'm supposed to see an A. Didn't you just tell me about revision A's? No, this is just a little A because it's telling you which PAL territory it's in. Um, just be careful. Like if there's ever a language that isn't French on the box, then you should know that. Like if there's Italian, because there's a lot of Italian games that come over that the, that will have like a very similar box, but it has Italian on it for some reason, that is a different region. So just be careful with those and... And just remember, if you see a round Nintendo seal of quality that looks like the oval, like that white with the the starry pattern on it, that's not that's not what you want. You want the oval version of that, not the round one. Unless so, you're listening to this podcast in Europe. Yes, well, I mean, <laughs> specifically, yeah. If you're in Europe, do the opposite of what I just said. And Mickey's uh, Mickey's Safari in Letterland has a big bold red B on it. And every time I'm flipping through games somewhere, I stop and I'm like, "Whoa, a pal game!" Like, "Oh no, I'm an idiot." That's Mickey's Adventure in Letterland. Yep. So these are some things to look out for. Anything else, guys, that we should tell our listeners to look out for that you could easily mix up? So repro boxes, obviously, those are out there because they're just cardboard. I've seen some people. There, there must be some outdated website that basically says that white inside means repro box uh and brown inside means legit well repro boxes have been brown and pretty legit looking for a long time uh and one extra thing you can look for besides the overall gloss feel quality things like that is the little cuts on the tabs in the box so when you put the flap into the tabs it kind of locks in and they have those little extra cutouts on the flap and a lot of times the repro boxes are missing those. I don't know why. It would be super easy to laser cut those in. But thankfully they forgot to do that. So uh, look for those little cutouts. Make sure your yep. box is legit. Also speaking on those tabs, um, when you're buying online uh, and boxes are closed, a lot of times those, the, the boxes will have those tabs torn off. And that's obviously a, a hit against its condition. So um when buying online, look for photos, you know, where the box actually shows the the open flap and you can see whether or not it has its tabs because, you know, it just won't close property and it, and it is a, a hit against its condition. So watch out yeah. for that, too. People think, oh, who cares about those tabs? Another yeah. thing about those tabs, they house important information. It will tell you which game it is and it has a little unique identifier code on one of the flaps. And if it has any inserts or anything, that same code will be on the inserts. So there's a pro tip for you, especially on Super Nintendo. That's very useful to know because there's a lot of inserts that look like general inserts, but they aren't. They are game specific, even if it is not for the game it is showing. So there you go. Um, just just to end us out real quick on, on all this, we've talked about quite a bit. But what is the current outlook for this system? How do we play it now? So on a retro Stephen, USB AVS, the correct way to play Nintendo games. Okay, Tyler, that's your take. Uh, Stefan, how else can we play it? Because um, well, I want to tell people, don't tell me the best way to play it. Just tell them what are the ways to currently play this system if you want to collect for it. 
That, I mean, there are, like Tyler had mentioned, the AVS is one of many different clone consoles out there. There's lots of different, you know, people it's people worry best. about not <laughs> people worry about not being able to like hook up a system to an HDMI television, and there's certainly solutions for that these days. There's there's a, a myriad of of clone consoles that will that'll do the quick and dirty job. If you're more of a if you if you desperately care about, you know, scan lines and high fidelity, you can go the RGB modded route and, you know, play, you know, and, and, and hook up your systems to uh, CRT televisions. And, and that's a whole different, I could do a whole episode on, on CRTs, you know, the different quality of, of uh, consumer versus uh, professional, you know, grade monitors. Um, so that, that's another whole um, rabbit hole you could go down. Um, but, and then there's also, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, this is more focused on collecting, but you know, there are, you know, more and more digital options every day, both legitimate and illegitimate. So there's, there's no, no lack of way to, to play NES games again, because it's such a popular system. Um, then, then so many people have nostalgia for it. You know, they'll, they'll sell you, they'll sell you ways to play these games as many ways as they can. Yep. So you can, you can find it everywhere. There's ROMs. Nintendo has an eShop. You've got the NES Mini. It's a popular system. It's The outlook on this is it's very easy to play old Nintendo games if you want to, depending on how you want to play them. If you're not picky, it's really easy. If you're picky, it gets a little harder, but can still be done. And there's it's so popular that people want to do it. So you should not worry about your ability to be able to play this. Like something like Atari, it's a lot harder to pick up an original Atari and be like, how do I plug this into a TV? Do I need a CRT? With the Nintendo, it's popular enough that you'll be able to conquer that. And Tyler is correct about uh, the best way to play it, which is, what is the best way to play an original Nintendo game right now, Tyler? Go. It's a retro USB AVS. And now... I know what you guys are thinking. You guys are smart. You know, you're, this isn't your first time hearing about clone consoles and all that kind of stuff. You guys are like, what about the analog NT? Well, <laughs> all right. I don't have an analog NT mini. Perhaps, perhaps the analog NT mini has fixed all of the problems I have with the analog NT, which I know is 100% not true because I know it has the same cartridge slot. And that cartridge slot is terrible. It's freaking awful. You could. All right. So the analog NT is not 100% compatible with every uh, at least the hdmi version because it uses real famicom chips but the hdmi version has an fpga ppu alongside the real ppu and that fpga ppu definitely has bugs definitely has incompatibilities definitely has problems go check out wwf king of the ring check out family feud that game doesn't even load uh spot the game is messed up so all the really popular stuff works perfectly but i you know i haven't played every single nes game on my analog nt and I've still found at least three almost unplayable games. So just because an analog NT costs $1,000, it is not the best way to play an NES. That's that's the key takeaway. <laughs> Most money, not the best. Yes. So uh, if you don't know what a PPU is, don't, don't worry about it. Just know that what Tyler said about which one to pick is the right one if you are very concerned about that. If you are not... There's so many well, other ways. Well, you could also be a nerd like Stefan who plays on CRTs. I don't like CRTs for any reason, so then <laughs> go get an RGB mod. I don't like CRTs either. I hacked an S Mini, and that's how I play all of mine, like a heathen. Um, I I just played Zelda, and we'll, we'll get to that in the in the next part of the show. I'll tell you all of my problems with the way I played Zelda. Um, but let's move to the second half of the show, and let's keep it brief. Guys, what are you buying? What are you playing right now? Stefan. Stefan. 
I uh, there was a trade event over this last weekend at uh, at Game Tower, so shout out to those guys. And I went and sold a bunch of toys, and then I bought a bunch of stuff with that money, and uh, a, a bunch of weird stuff actually. Uh, a Odyssey two in the box for twenty dollars. A never having been folded uh, Super Nintendo box, like a like from the factory pre folded. That was cool. Um, a, an N sixty four console that. Uh, had been um, through the Nintendo service uh, system. And a um, this was actually because I think T- Tyler brought it up the other day, or one of you brought it up the other day, the uh, version of House of the Dead for Dreamcast that came with the gun. And so so I bought that too. Yeah, so Johnny definitely brought that up. I would not bring up Dreamcast. So, Yep, that was me. Okay, so uh, that's what you bought. Tyler, what did you buy? Uh, I got Tag and Dragon, which I've been looking for for maybe three years, because I didn't want to pay more than $50 for it, and I ended up paying more than $50 for it. Uh, which It's like an unlicensed game, but it's not rare, so I don't know why it's worth anything. And then I actually, <laughs> I don't like PlayStation. I went and I bought a bunch of PlayStation games, because I figured PlayStation Mini's coming out. This was before the full game list was announced. People are going to get excited about PlayStation, and I know my PlayStation collection sucks. Uh, so I went and I got like all the Twisted Metal games. I got Umjammer Lammy because I, I don't have that. I got all the Spyro games, Dino Crisis, Legend of Dragoon, uh, at least one or two of those Final Fantasy collections, stuff like that. I obviously have a lot of the big PlayStation games, but I'm still missing uh, huge chunks. So that's uh, what I was focusing on. And then I also played PlayStation. I played Resident Evil 2. Uh, turns out that game's amazing. Who knew? Who knew Resident Evil 2 on the PlayStation is an amazing game? I, I think everybody. And, uh, yeah, I played Bart vs. the Space Mutants on NES, which uh, NES is the best uh, system ever made, and Bart vs. the Space Mutants is the reason why it's the best system ever made. Excellent. Stefan, did you play anything? We didn't get done to what you played. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I finally finished Dragon Quest XI. That was that was my my big accomplishment um, for, like, the month. Uh, and then I just recently started playing uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. So I've nice. been enjoying that. Yeah. It looks like it finally loaded for you. It only took four days. <laughs> yeah. So, it was like literally said like six hours when I started downloading that. So, yeah, that's nice of them. Uh, what did I buy? I have not bought much in the way of video games. I bought Darkstalkers for the PS1, but not just any version because you can just get Darkstalkers. But I bought the Jewel Case version. So that's kind of that's a, the variant. It's the Fighting Edge v- variant of it. Happy to finally get that at a decent price. I was waiting to get it for like under $50, and I finally did. I missed one for like $30 six months ago, and I've been kicking myself ever since. And uh, so I settled on this one with a coupon to uh, an eBay deal for like 10% off. So a little better, feel a little better, but still, still feel like overpaid. Uh, that's what I got, what I played. Okay, so I played Zelda on the Switch. They have their little subscription service, and they've got all the games you can play, and I was like, man, I'm just going to play Zelda. I just don't I don't feel very good today. I'm just going to sit here and do something Do you play the bullshit version of Zelda? I I did. I did, actually. I, I wanted to see what that was. I actually just started, and then I was like, I'm just going to keep going. And it, it just takes out, like, the initial grind, because it it's not like, oh, now you don't have any skill. So, I... I mean, the only thing, I, I don't know why they give you the bracelet to begin with. I still yeah, that's you... the one that really bothers me. That's like a progression thing. That's not like a grind thing. It's so weird. Yeah. Everything else is kind of like a grind thing. Like, knowing where the hearts are, that's like a little bit of a thing. But I know where all those things are. I don't, I don't feel that bad. Like, you didn't ruin it uh, for yourself. I feel like the only thing this could do, though, is like maybe ruin the game for someone. 
Uh, I mean, maybe I like, I was showing some friends who weren't familiar with it, who were a little bit younger and they're just like, what the, where is that? How do you even know where any of this stuff is? I forgot how Where's much the quest marker. Yeah. Like there's no information like, like, Oh, in the Eastmost peninsula, you're like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Oh, Dodongo hates bombs or hates smoke. You're like, well, is that a secret? Like, what do you, the Digga Dodger, uh, doesn't like a loud sound. <laughs> Why are these the clues? Like, thanks, cryptic old man. Could you just tell me to blow the whistle? Anyways, or the flute. I always called it the whistle, but, you know, it's a flute. It's a terrible version of the game. It's got weird... <laughs> se- like, the slowdown still happens. That happened on the NES, which I'm fine with because it's... Like, that's what happens. But you get these weird spots in the games where you clear all the enemies and the doors are supposed to open, right? They close behind you, kill all the enemies, doors open. There was like 10 times for me that the doors did not open. And I don't know if this was specific to me, if anyone else ran into this. So I had to kill myself with a fucking candle. Do you know how hard that is to do? Or you're just like, or I just hard reset when I didn't have the red candle. I'm like, are you kidding me? Did I run into another one of these rooms? So I I did just a real quick playthrough. I, I beat it. You know, Zelda is still Zelda. It's not that hard. Except for a shout out to World 6 or Level 6. That level is still a pain in the ass. Wizards are the worst thing. Everyone says Dark Knights are, are hard or Dark Knights. Those are fine. Easy. Goddamn wizards are the worst. The worst enemy in the game. Anyways, that's what I played. And there's a little mini Zelda rant in there. And yeah, play it on the NES Mini. Do not play this version uh, that they just gave you just it's not it's not even worth the time you saved because the frustration is so high i don't know if the first other time that happened to me i would have given up like i wouldn't have played it on the switch to begin with but i would have been like all right well this is obviously fucked i'm not gonna bother i i just did, i wasn't even gonna move from the couch i, I just wasn't feeling very well and uh, i was watching the it was while i was watching the lakers play basketball too so i was doing like two things at once so you know i can i can barely think and get through zelda so it's not a big deal so it doesn't take me very long. I beat it in just a few hours. It took me a few hours to beat Bar First the Space Mutants because that game is pretty hard. Yep. Got to get rid of that color purple, Johnny. It's not like Red Dead Redemption where it's just like, oh, it's an open world. I'm probably going to go to some bar. It'll be a bar fight. I'll get a quest. I'll follow the quest marker. Some Wild West things will happen. No, I don't know. Collect all the hats. Level two. What's up? I don't know. All right. Cool. Good job, Tower. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm just cutting you off because we are we are so to, long. We are so long. I need so to complain about episode. Red Dead Redemption 2, Johnny. It's the time. It's do do you want to no, do you want to go a little more? No, All right, no, just, okay. I know you. Tar- you've anything been like this else since or can we end the episode? Thirty minutes in. Oh, I know it's so long. I can feel it. I I like people you like long I do this, podcasts, but I also oh, feel shit, two hours and twenty minutes. I also feel bad for you because you're the one who has to edit this garbage. Oh, it's fine. NES is my favorite console. Imagine if I had to do this for Dreamcast, I'd give up. I'd be like, Johnny, you're editing this one. <laughs> well, we're going to do a Dreamcast episode and a Saturn episode, but you like the Saturn one. I do like the Saturn, so yeah. So, But uh, I guess I'll edit the Dreamcast version. God, I hate editing. Johnny, I've got I, one more thing that you, you skimmed over, and I don't sure. like it. Stadium events, PAL versus NTSC. So the PAL copy, obviously not anywhere near as rare as the American copies. The PAL copy is split over two lines uh, on the front of the cartridge. What are you talking about? What's what's split over two so lines? So the uh, the name, Stadium Events, it says Stadium, 
and then it's a carriage return and events. And so the American copy just says stadium events all in one line. It's a thinner line. And the way to remember that is because USA is number one. So we just have one line. Oh, there we go. Uh, what's a carriage? Is that like a thing that horses pull? Or? <laughs> hey, kids, you know about carriage returns? <laughs> yeah. So when you're looking yeah, at your terminal car- and you want to take the, the cursor from the end of the terminal to the next line at the beginning of the terminal. When, when you are staring at your typewriter... Your old-timey typewriter, because you're a weird hipster who brought one of those. That's that big metal bar that you got to slap to bring the whole thing back to the other side. There you go. Let's be as old as possible. All right. And then when you leave, go go ahead and crank your car to turn it on and uh, be on your way. That's all I got. All right. That's the end of the episode. <laughs> Hooray. Thank God. What a what a shitty way to go out. Yeah, Ooh, on a joke that just was flat. Thanks, Tyler. Just, I, what? It wasn't my fault. Johnny was talking <laughs> about cranking cars over here. He's like, oh, let's make fun of the fact that you said carriage return. The kids don't know what that is. Yeah, well. What would you have said? Ent- I like, would have you- said carriage return as well. <laughs> you say line break. Line break. There we go. Line that break been, would be all correct. Right. Cutting that Anyways. Out. Nope, it's in there. Guys, Tyler specifically, where can we find you on Instagram? Uh, default G-E-N, default Gen. I'm on Instagram. Sometimes I post there. And Stefan, where can we find you? Uh, also on Instagram, sometimes YouTube, uh, Archon1981, A-R-C-H-O-N-1981. I post more than Tyler does. And I'm Johnny underscore Iucci. That's G-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I. And I didn't make fun of their names because that's how long this episode went. All right, bye! <laughs>